Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome, everyone, to a special off-season episode of Revolution Recap. It's been a while since we've had an episode, and the Revolution has been very busy uh, to conclude 2019, so we're checking in for one more final episode before the new year to recap the off-season so far. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how is it going? Still recovering from that rough Patriots loss today, but uh, a lot of fun stuff to talk about in this episode because it's been a shockingly busy offseason for the revolution maybe uh not shockingly for other teams in mls but uh given what we saw in the the mike burns era of guys not getting really signed until january february march um there's a lot to talk about and a lot of good things to talk about so i think this will help us uh be in a little bit better spirits too um for our listeners that don't know i live in philadelphia above a bar uh and so not only have i had to endure the Terrible Patriots loss, but I've had to hear Eagles fans celebrating all year. And part of me just pictures Jake Catney somewhere in uh, Connecticut celebrating with them. And just makes me sick to my stomach. So I'm really glad to uh, get into some Revs talk, get uh, to some positive things happening uh, in Foxborough. And uh, I, I guess we'll start at the very beginning of the offseason and kind of go in chronological order. Um, just since it's been two months since we've had an episode, since we do have a lot of thoughts of um, what's happened in November as much as we've uh, uh, recent developments. Uh, but, Sean, let, let's start with the roster decisions. I, I think we talked about this on our last episode that concluded the season after the Atlanta loss. There was really no big surprises that we saw. Um, the Revs declined options on Michael Mancien, Juan Agadello, uh, Juan Fernando Caicedo, all of them obviously having large salaries. And Caicedo had the purchase option, so we kind of knew he was gone. Uh, Edgar Castillo also had an option decline. Uh, and Brian Wright, who spent last year, most of last year in Birmingham, uh, had his options decline. Cody Cropper and Zach Haravo had their contracts expired, and they were not renewed, so they are free agents. Um, Sean, did you have uh, any real surprises or any thoughts on the players that were leaving? No, I mean, nothing on that list surprised me. We, we talked about before how big Juan Aguadelo's contract was. And, um, you know, for all the promise he's had over the years and the age he's at, move didn't surprise me, you know, given what was it, 600K, um, to see his contract option decline. That makes perfect sense. Castillo obviously was a disappointment, so that makes sense. And, you know, he was up there in salary. Juan Fernando Caicedo, as you mentioned, they're not going to pay a transfer fee for him. He didn't do enough. Um, that was a, you know, Bruce Arena, Mike Burns signing. And Michael Mancian, who was, I think, due to make a million dollars next year on his current contract, had his option decline, which certainly makes sense. Um, a bit more surprising was seeing him re-signed, but we'll probably get into that a little bit later. Yeah, well, why don't we um, talk about that right now? Because as you said, uh, uh, Julian Cardillo reported at the time of the Mancian signing that Mancian had a $1 million option for 2020. The Revs decline his option and then bring him back at a reported uh, $400,000 figure also, according to Julian. Um, Sean, uh, why? I really don't get it. You know, he's uh, you know $400,000 is a lot more stomachable than a million dollars for him given his level of performance but you know his international roster spot i would believe he turns 32 this year i think um so he's had a, a history of, of lots of injuries with the revolution um tr- struggling to stay healthy and his play has just been poor he's looked slow out there and you know yes you can contribute some of that to the injuries but you know at his age is is he really going to get better and, and stay healthier um the only way i can kind of get this move is if 
Uh, Michael Mancian's about to get a green card, so the Revolution don't have to waste an international roster spot on him. But even then, you know, four hundred thousand dollars for a center back that's produced at the level he's produced and been injured, um, the amount of times he's been injured and is at the age he's at, uh, just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. He's one of those guys that had a you know nice pedigree coming to the Revolution, experience over in England, uh, but he really hasn't worked out. And the Revolution had an opportunity to move on from him, and, and Bruce Arena had an opportunity to put his stamp on the team and find somebody else to take that role. Um, so I was really shocked that he, you know, went the route of you know, re-signing a Mike Burns guy, even, even if it was to a 60% discount. Yeah, and I'll be a little glass half full on this one and say Michael Mancian played most of his minutes with the Revs under Brad Friedel. And as we kind of picked up on Brad Friedel, no one really played well under Brad Friedel. Um, this team was a complete mess, certainly at the beginning of 2019, a little bit at the end of 2018. But maybe under Bruce Arena, Michael Mancian will play a little bit better, uh, but Still, four hundred thousand kind of implies. I mean, that that's a starting center back salary. Um, that's what Tony De La May is making. That's about twice as much as what Andrew Farrell is making. Um, so to bring him back on a four hundred thousand dollars salary makes me believe that Mancien's not a rotation piece or a guy that kind of starts here and there, kind of in a you know Jaleel Anibaba role where he pops in when when you need someone and he can be the experienced guy that kind of mentors the young guys. Four hundred thousand to me and an international spot if he doesn't get a green card tells me that they're expecting something from Michael Mancien this season. So I was a little surprised at that move at that salary. I think if he came back at a two hundred two hundred fifty thousand dollars salary, I mean it's a position that they needed depth. Um, it's a they signed him after Jaleel Anibaba left, which we'll talk about in a second. But it, it kind of made a little bit of sense if he's your third guy going into the season, kind of like how, how he was at the end of last season. Um, but giving him a, a starter starter money, I'm not totally sure about that. Should also be noted that uh, there's a second year option on that one, so maybe they think that he, if he's fully healthy, if he plays a little bit better. I mean, maybe they kind of see him being a starter, not just this year, but next year. And maybe they're getting a little bit of value, too, at $400,000. I, I, I don't really see it either way. But um, if we want some numbers on Michael Mancian that don't really look great on him, uh, in his time with the Revolution, in his uh, games he has started, he has started in 23 games, and the Revs have a 6-6-11 and record. Uh, so that's 11 losses, six wins, six draws, and they've conceded 1.83 goals per game in the games that he has started. So not really great results for a guy that was coming in. And he wasn't a DP, but he was a TAM-level signing that you kind of thought would solidify that back line. Really has not not done that so far. So, Well, and the, the, the other thing with Mancian, too, is you can write off you know his mistakes for being under Brad Friedel, but... You know, the Bent Musket and, and Seth Maycomber and, and the team there do a good job of reaching out to people um, that, you know, follow the teams or report on the teams that the Revolution have signed these guys from. And I, and I remember when they did one on Michael Mancian, there was comments about, about mental mistakes that really fit with what you saw of his play um, under Brad Friedel. So when you, you know, try to write those mistakes off as just things that happened because Brad Friedel put them in a horrible position, and he did, I don't know if you can really blame that completely or entirely um, on Brad Friedel's system because really what we saw from him and the mistakes that were made it fit with, you know, what we should have expected based on scouting reports from both the Bent Musket had and, you know, other various articles or, you know, even if you were to, to look up old threads about him from, from fans of other teams, that you know, the mistakes he made fit with what you should have expected. Um, I did want to note, too, that Julian Cardillo 
also reported that Cody Cropper was close to signing uh, with a team from Norway last August and just wanted to kind of connect a dot too for the people that have been listening to us for a few months. But uh, remember that back in July and August, the Revs were reportedly interested in Patrick McLean, uh, who was playing at Orange County SC at the USL. Uh, and he was released from his contract. There were some rumors that he was coming to the Revs and no one was really quite sure because the Revs had three um, goalkeepers. So um, there's no confirmation of this whatsoever. But uh, as I say, if you're a connect the dots guy, uh, I, I think that McLean rumor and that Cody Cropper uh, potential signing might have been related a little bit there. So that, that just kind of puts a cap on that one. Um, in terms of any of these other signings, uh, Edgar Castillo, too. Um, I, I don't know if we, <laughs> we want to go into uh, kind of the process, but I, I'm not sure what's happening to Edgar Castillo. But um, when players are released, they're either on the re-entry list or the waiver draft list at MLS. And uh, Edgar Castillo was not on either of those lists. Um, so I'm not sure if he's retiring. Uh, Michael Mancy hasn't, wasn't on those lists either, but he, he re-signed with the Revs. So um, I'm not sure if Edgar Castillo's career is uh, at a close, I know he ended the season injured, but um, curious to see what happens with him. And uh, Brian Wright has uh, already re-signed with uh, the Birmingham Legion uh, and he revs south. So uh, hopefully he still puts up some highlight goals here and there uh, for them. Sean, let's move on to the expansion draft. The Revs projected 12 players, uh, the usual suspects, um, Turner, Farrell, by De La Mea, Call. Aldwell Zahibo, Luis Caicedo, Gustavo Bo, Teal Bunbury, Carlos Hill, Dewan Jones, and Christian Pena. Uh, all those uh, players remain on the team, uh, but Jaleel Anibaba, who's one of the few players left unprotected that might have been selected, uh, was selected by Nashville after Mookie Betts uh, just completely botched the pronunciation of his name. Uh, Sean, for Jaleel Anibaba to be protected over one of the 12 guys on that list for the revolution. Yeah, it's hard for me to say. I think the Revolution made the right call with who they did protect. The The thing with Giuliani Baba is, you know, he was a free agent going into this offseason. The Revolution hadn't re-signed him. Um, you know, I think they very well probably would have if he wasn't picked up. Uh, I think it would have made a lot more sense to bring him back in a depth role than Michael Mancian. I, I assume that he's going to be paid a lot less this year than Mancian is. Um, I think he was, you know, in the between 100K and 150K last year. So it was you know, pretty cheap. Um, but, you know, it made sense to me that the revolution left him unprotected, given he was a free agent, given, you know, he's getting up there in age as well. And, you know, he's a great depth piece, but he's not a piece that the revolution lose and you say he's irreplaceable, um, particularly with the guy of, of Bruce Arena's pedigree. There were a, a lot of guys that were free agents um, in this offseason. I think guys like A.J. De La Garza, who, you know, you would have thought Bruce Arena could have gone out and perhaps convinced to come here and, and be the replacement for Giovanni Baba. Um, obviously, that didn't really happen. But, you know, he's, he's not a guy, and, you know, especially given Mancy on re-signing, um, I don't think it's a huge loss for the Revolution to lose Giuliani Baba. He's been a solid performer for the Revolution, but there's a reason he's been kind of an MLS journeyman and never really held down a, a starting spot for long portions of his career. Yeah, and I think the free agency thing was a uh, big factor. By Nashville selecting him, they basically retain his rights, and they can re-sign him to a larger contract than any other team. So essentially what the Revs are losing is Annie Baba's rights. But, um, you know, you got to think, too, that if they are able to keep Annie Baba, maybe they bring back Annie Baba as opposed to Michael Mancien. Um, that's not really 100% sure, but um, I, I think with Annie Baba as a potential free agent, um, and as you said, in a bit of a reduced role, I think center back was going to be a position that they looked elsewhere and got another TAM signing, uh, which they ended up doing anyway. Um, so it kind of made sense to leave Annie Baba um, left open. And I'm not sure who else you take off that list. I guess Scott Caldwell, um, but Caldwell just signed an extension. He's a hometown guy. He certainly has a bit of a leadership role on the team. So I, I can't really blame the Revs for um, leaving uh, Annie Baba unprotected. It's just a unfortunate 
unfortunate thing that happened to him. But uh, and if the current rules hold, uh, the Revs won't have to be a part of the expansion draft next year because. Um, as the rules were this year, if uh, a player was selected from your team last season, uh, all of your players were protected and not eligible to be taken. So hopefully that rule rolls, rolls over uh, into the next expansion draft. Well, and, and honestly, and somebody else on Twitter tweeted this out, so I'm sorry for stealing their point because I forget who it was. But, you know, when you look at the Revolution's roster now and you imagine what it will be next year in the expansion draft – the Revs are probably better off losing a guy like Giuliani Baba now than you know going in next year and having to find uh, 12 guys to protect when they, in, in theory, should have a much deeper team. Correct. Correct. Uh, that's absolutely true. Uh, also want to bring up another kind of small move that the Revs made. They re-signed Brandon By and Dewan Jones. Um, and it's worth pointing out that this doesn't necessarily mean that their contracts were over. Those two players are essentially just moving from the reserve roster, which is for essentially draft picks and homegrown players, uh, and they're being moved to the senior ro- the senior roster. Um, what that does is um, it means that they'll be getting paid a little bit more next season uh, because the minimum salary of the senior roster is higher than the reserve roster and the supplemental roster. Uh, and it also clears some spots for uh, some draft picks, uh, which the Revs have, I believe, four of going into the 2020 draft. So those, you know, I think some people were very excited about the signings and they were excited that Dwan Jones and Brandon Byer coming back. Uh, they were probably always coming back. They've only been in the team and on the team for one or two years. They probably had some option years left. Um, but those are basically votes of confidence. That the revs uh, see those players being senior level players, which are essentially contributors to the team. Uh, and they wanted to kind of open up some space on the reserve uh, roster for some draft picks, as opposed to keeping them on the, uh, reserve roster cutting uh not using those draft picks and, and signing i'll say more expensive players uh so just wanted to kind of touch on that news uh while we're covering the whole off season uh the revs did make a selection in the waiver draft one of those draft picks the 39th pick overall it was the second round pick from the revolution uh they used it on jeff caldwell a goalkeeper who spent most of the last season with Memphis in the USL. Uh, he was selected by new york city fc uh in I believe t- the 2018 Super Draft, he was 19th overall. He was the first goalkeeper to come out of the draft. Um, Sean, this guy looks like a third keeper, but the, a lot of people have pointed out the refs have not added him uh, to the, their roster. Uh, do you have any thoughts on Jeff Caldwell and if he might not sign with the refs? Yeah, it's weird because I, if I recall correctly, when the Revolution first announced it, Jeff Caldwell had you know put up stuff on his social media acting like he was excited to go to the refs, and we haven't really heard anything since. Um, but, yeah, he absolutely looks like a third-string goalkeeper. I think uh, Bruce Arena has moved on from Cody Cropper. Um, whatever he saw from him um, in his you know, tenure as the Revolution head coach probably wasn't enough to convince him that Cody Cropper should get more time here to have a chance to fight for a starting spot or a second-string spot. So I think it makes sense if the Revolution new sign him is going to be you know, probably a minimum salary player um, and, and kind of taking up that third-string spot and perhaps seeing some minutes with Revs too. Um, it's you know, not a move to get super excited about, but... You know, he's a goalkeeper with, with some promise that um, has seen a lot of time in the USL and uh, you know, c- could be a solid third-string keeper for the Revolution and an option for the Revs 2 team if they you know, need someone to, to fill in at that, at that role. And perhaps, you know, he, I, I'm not really sure what the Revolution intend to do with, with all their spots in Revs 2. It sounds like they're going to give the academy guys a lot of minutes there. But, um, you know, th- you'd think there'd be some opportunities for a guy like Jeff Caldwell like, to get minutes with that team. Yeah, and obviously, you know, one time he was the best keeper coming out of college and going into the Super Draft. Not that that means a whole lot, but, um, you know, goalkeepers kind of peak towards, you know, their mid-20s or their mid to late 20s in some cases. Uh, You know, you look at someone like Matt Turner who needed a couple of years development. Um, So, you know, Brad Knighton is 
getting a little bit older, and I, I don't think it's that out of the realm of possibility to think a uh, high-ceiling guy like Jeff Caldwell, if he is a high-ceiling guy, uh, or as I should say, a prospect, you give him some time at USL, probably in Hartford as opposed to Revs 2, and we'll get to why. Uh, I think some 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 of the older guys might be loaned to USL championship teams instead of Revs 2 in a second. But, um, you know, I, I think you give Jeff Caldwell another year at USL. Maybe he slots in as a backup down the road. Uh, maybe he gets some minutes with the first team. But, um, yeah, he's a reserve roster guy. He's going to be making uh, kind of the league minimum. And I, I think it's essentially, you know, a second-round pick. A lot of people kind of were freaking out that why would you trade a second-round pick for a third-string goalkeeper? Um, you know, this was the fourth of five picks that the Revs had. Um, you know, around pick number 39. It's not going to be that valuable of a pick anyway. And essentially, you're trading a 39th overall pick for a guy that was taken 19th two years ago. So uh, one other thing I want to add, though, is I want to read the rule, the exact language, because uh, I was under the impression that Caldwell would automatically be added to um, the team roster. Uh, the MLS rules say players under contract for 2020 who are selected in the MLS end-of-year waivers, uh, the waiver draft, will be automatically ousted added sorry automatically added to the drafting club's roster clubs that claim players out of contract at the end of 2019 must issue a genuine offer to the selected player uh so Caldwell had a option to climb so he was still under contract for at least one more year i guess because nycfc declined that option they he was no longer technically under contract i, I don't really understand what scenario there would be where someone's in the waiver draft but still under contract if that's the case um but the way that I, I, I guess it's going down is that Caldwell is negotiating with the revolution uh, and they're, they're still in talks, but very quiet on if he has or hasn't been added to the roster. It's been a couple of months, so it's a very strange situation. Yeah, I don't fully understand the, the rules either. There are rare cases where a player that's under contract is waived. Um, so I guess it's it's for that situation, but it, it, it is very confusing, especially when you think about the re-entry draft and how if you take someone in the first round there, then you have to pick up their option. But, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I assume now that he's not under contract and they, you know, based on the fact that his option was declined, but it's unclear whether or not the revolution would be able to exercise that option because you'd think that option would probably be for the minimum salary or close to it. And in which case, if the revolution really did want to bring him in, I don't know why you wouldn't just exercise that. But the, the MLS rules are a bit of a, uh, are, are very confusing. And, you know, some of them are publicly available, but some of them, even with publicly available, don't have enough clarification to actually know what they mean. <laughs> right. And and uh, Jeff Caldwell made uh, $57,225 last year in salary, even with a pay bump. You got to think that's around 60000 So it's not really a situation where the Revs are negotiating him down, really, because I think the minimum salary is like 54000 So I, I don't think they're exactly negotiating pennies with Jeff Caldwell here. So it, it might be a situation where maybe he's trying to go overseas or maybe he just flat out is holding out. But I don't know. He, he seems excited about coming to the revolution. He made a post about it. So I, a bit of a weird situation. But uh, moving from one dumb MLS rule to another, another uh rev, you're, as an mls team you can only sign two free agents uh and the revs have opted to sign both free agents uh two former revs actually kellen rowe and seth sinovic both signed with the revolution on december 4th and december 17th respectively um we'll talk about kellen rowe first sean are you surprised that kellen rowe returned after his graduation last year and where do you see kellen fitting on the team for 2020 yeah you know i am i'm very surprised by this move um i think you know, Calendar, I believe it was Bruce Arena that gave Calendar a shot with the, the national team. Um, so I guess, there, you know, there's some sense to it there. But, you know, Calendar had a really bad year last year. He, he left the Revs 
Uh, he you know, basically said he was happy about it, and then he you know, kind of got benched by Sporting Kansas City and was playing on their USL team and uh, you know, struggled for minutes in, in Salt Lake after that. So it, it wasn't a good year for Kellen Rowe, and it really hurt his value. I think everybody, us included, assumed that Kellen Rowe would be going to Seattle um, in this offseason, but I don't think what he did this year helped his value at all. And maybe Seattle, who... You know, I, I believe last, not last year, but in previous years, pretty much publicly expressed that they were interested in bringing Kellen Rowan, um, you know, to the point where, like, if this was the NBA or something, you might have even thought some of those comments, that, you know, even if they were behind closed doors, would have qualified as tampering. Uh, but, but you know, there was always the, the thought out there that Kellen Rowe would be going to Seattle, and maybe his season was just so bad that he didn't have that option. Um, so I am surprised he's back in the revolution. I'm especially surprised because you look at the moves that you know Bruce Arena made. He he brought back Luis Caicedo, which you know makes a lot of sense. He brought back Zahibo, which um, you know maybe you have more questions about. Less less certain that move makes sense. And you know Scott Caldwell was re-signed by Mike Burns, so you know they have three guys that are central midfielders or defensive midfielders. And I think we both kind of agreed that the revolution, you know, that was an area where the revolution could use to go out and bring an improvement in. Um, I don't think Kellen Rowe is an improvement in that area. I think Kellen Rowe is a central midfielder, uh, but I don't think he necessarily makes them better at that spot. He's a good depth piece, and he's a guy that's versatile. And, you know, you know, he can play left back not very well. He can play uh, central midfield pretty well. Um, at times, he can be okay on the wing. Um, but it, it seems his best position is in central midfield. And given they have, you know, a, a really good player in Luis Caicedo, and they have, you know, a solid player in... Scott Caldwell, and they have a guy in Zahibo who played better under Bruce Arena than he did under Brad Friedel. Um, I'm not really sure Rowe is a significant improvement over any of those guys, and that was just a position where I thought the Revolution could use an improvement at. And by bringing in Rowe, it tells me that they're not going to get an improvement there. I, you know, I have heard some people think that Kellen Rowe is going to play on the left wing. Maybe he'll see some time there, but I don't think he's that good on the left wing either. So it seemed like the right move for the Revolution to kind of move on from Kellen Rowe, um, again, like it did for me from, from Michael Mancia. And so I just don't really get that move. I assume he's, you know, if anything, making maybe less money than he made for the revolution when he was last in the team. Uh, I don't really know, you know, what his salary will be, but it just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me that uh, Callan Rowe ended up back in the revs, given the season he had, given, you know, he was happy to leave and uh, given what the revolution roster stands at and their, you know, kind of lack of senior roster spaces and the fact that they have a lot of depth or a decent amount of depth at central midfield, but don't really have a dominating presence there. And, you know, Kellen Rowe certainly isn't going to be a dominating presence to me that controls that midfield. Yeah, it's a very weird signing. And I, I understand it from a Revs perspective, because as you said, um, you know, Rowe, I think, is coming back to play central midfield. And you look at the central midfielders and going into this offseason, you had Scott Caldwell, you had Luis Caicedo, and you had Wilfred Zahibo. And then, you you know, you could, you know, I think they've tried Diego Fagundes back there. They had Juan, Fagundes, or Juan Agadello um, go back there at times and kind of play an eight. Um, but, th- you know, and that, that worked a little bit. I think they kind of beat up on some weaker opponents. But I think as the season went on, it was a bit of a weird fit for Juan Agadello. So I, I think going into this offseason, Bruce Arena is looking at this and he's looking at Caldwell. He's looking at Luis Caicedo. He's looking at Zahibo. And he's thinking, you know, none of these guys are really good offensive players. You know, you could kind of argue that maybe Scott Caldwell, you know, doesn't turn the ball over or whatever. But I, I don't think Scott Caldwell is really, you know, scaring anyone. Um, you know, he's not going to break any games open. So I think Kellen Rose kind of coming in as this guy off the bench that if you're down by a goal and your defensive 
midfield pairing is Zahibo and Luis Caicedo, who Zahibo can offer a little bit offensively with some set pieces, and uh, but but Luis Caicedo offers virtually nothing. He's there as a defensive piece. You could put in Kellen Rowe and you know maybe get a little bit of a spark off the bench. So I, I kind of I, I get the thought process um, from the rev spot. And, and also you can kind of play row wherever you want. He's kind of a utility guy at this point. He can kind of play like a Brock Holt uh, type position where if you want to put him on the wing or at left back or whatever, like he, he's technically capable of doing that. Fine. I don't understand why Kellen Rowe is coming back from his perspective. And I'm curious to see what his terms on his contract are, because if I'm Kellen Rowe, you either want to go play for a contender like Seattle or you want to go play, I guess the Revs are contenders, but you you either want to fit on a team where you're a really good team where you're a role player, or you go to kind of a bottom feeder team and build your your kind of brand back up on a one-year contract and then try to play somewhere else. And I feel like with the Revs, he's kind of splitting the baby where he's coming back to a team that he knows that's going to give him a bit of a reduced role. I can't see him starting more than what, like eight or ten games for the Revs. So I'm really confused at why he's coming back um, I mean, I guess Bruce Arena is the answer to that. And he knows the team and he knows the fans. Um, but it's very surprising for me because I would have thought that Kellen Rowe would have gone to a team um, kind of at the top of the league and try to play this role, this one role very, very well. And I, I guess the answer is just his the year last year was so bad. He didn't realize how good he had it in New England. And he's kind of coming back to kind of prove himself all over again. I, I guess that's the answer. But um, it, it was a very strange signing for me. I never in a million years would have thought Kellen Rowe would come back to New England. He was one of the last people I would have expected uh, coming back to Foxborough. I mean, I think everything's changed with Mike, with Mike Burns and, and Brad Friedel gone, yeah. where, you know, I don't think there's any way Seth Sanova comes back right. and Mike Burns is still here. Um, right. But no, there, there are a lot of questions here for, for me on Kellen Rowe. And I think part of that uh, is that Bruce Arenas, he's a guy that, you know, in 2017, when Bruce Arena was coaching the national team, uh, you know, Kellen Rowe was a, a very promising player that looked like he had a future on the national team, and it's all kind of fallen apart since then. And you know, Bruce Arena saw that 2017 Kellen Rowe that had a lot of promise and that you know looked like he was rounding into the the peak time of his career. And you know, under Brad Friedel, that completely fell apart. And you thought that him going to Kansas City would revive that, and it certainly didn't. Um, and then maybe you thought him going to Real Salt Lake would give him another chance to revive that, and it certainly didn't. But, you know, maybe with some of these moves, it's Bruce Arena saying, you know, I see a lot of talent in Michael Mancian, I see a lot of talent in Kellen Rowe, and, you know, Brad Friedel couldn't unlock that talent, but Bruce Arena, I'm a much better coach, I can unlock that talent, and he's taking kind of a gamble there. So, you know, we'll see how it plays out. But, um, you know, I've heard some people say that it's desperation that Kellen Rowe re-signed for the Revolution after his really poor season, but... You don't really get desperate on December 4th if you're a free agent and, and re-sign that quickly. You have to remember, with a guy like Giolini Baba, when he signed for the Revolution, you could make a case it was desperation because that was in February after he had a trial with the team. But this is December, so to me, it's too early to, to play this off as desperation on Kellen Rose's part. Yeah, and, and to me, it shows that Bruce Arena has an idea of how to use him. I just don't think it's going to be in a very big capacity. And that's I, I guess that's why I'm kind of surprised Kellen Rowe is coming back. I would have thought he would want to, I don't know, at least start start somewhere. And that, you know, maybe he's just taken what he can get and totally shocked about this signing. And I think we when Real Salt Lake um, came to town, we had a question that was, do you ever envision Kellen Rowe coming back? And we both said no. I, I think we both said, nope, that's, you know, maybe at the end of his career. But um, so for Kellen Rowe to come back for 2020 is a huge shock. So. Uh, another former Rev coming back to uh, Foxborough, Seth Sinovic. Um, Sean, are you surprised that the Revs use their second free agent spot on a left back, uh, a position that's already kind of taken by Alexander Butner? Um, any any thoughts on the Sinovic signing? 
Yeah, I mean, I'm more surprised that they use the spot on Kellen Rowe, given that. But at the same time, teams don't frequently go out there and actually sign two free agents. So it's, you know, it seems like a big deal to use two spots. But historically, teams don't really use their two spots necessarily. So I'm not sure it is that big of a deal. And the Sestinovic signing makes a lot of sense to me. He's a, you know, a very solid left back, um, very defensively sound. I don't know that he contributes too much on offense, but very defensively sound left back. Um, you know, I, I can't remember from the past podcast or not, but on, you know, on Twitter at least, I've kind of openly questioned whether or not Alexander Butner is going to be a, a sure thing at left back. He obviously has a very, very nice pedigree, but he's a guy that over the years, you know, his fitness has been questioned. He's shown up to, to preseasons or, you know, after midseason breaks and, uh, you know, it's been rumored he's been overweight. I think there was one team where, you know, allegedly he was the reason they had to ban chips in the locker room. Um, so, you know, he's a guy that now is in his 30s. Uh, is coming off of, you know, what's, by the time he plays, he last played a competitive match in May. By the time he plays for the Revolution at the end of February in his first competitive match, it's going to be, you know, nine months uh, or whatever since he last played a competitive match. So for a guy that's had fitness issues, is in his 30s, uh, you know, I don't think he's a sure thing. I think there's a possibility he becomes a very, very good left back for the Revolution, but there's no guarantee. And he's also a guy that, you know, I think adds a lot offensively as a left back if he's fit. Um, but, you know, maybe you go into games, you want a more defensive option and Sessano could be that guy um so i think he's a great insurance policy for butner if butner doesn't work out the way it's expected and to me i think it's kind of 50 50 whether or not butner turns out to be a great signing or whether or not he turns out to be a bust yeah and when was the last time the revs had a left back uh going into the season that ended up working out uh last year we had edgar Castillo, who was a bit of a bust i don't think he was a total bust as some fans say uh and, and the year before that we had gabriel somi who was a total bust in my opinion. Uh, so I, I think the last two years there have been disappointing results. So uh, I think it's wise for Bruce Arena to kind of fill out his roster with a backup plan and a plan B in case Bootner, who has some red flags, as you mentioned, uh, doesn't work out. And the other thing too is, you know, it's turf. Uh, Bootner is on the wrong side of 30. Uh, Sinovic is a <laughs> great veteran. Uh, you know, he, he knows Foxborough. He knows some of the guys. So um, I, I think it's a good signing all the way around. And, um, you know, as you said, not a lot of players uh, – not a lot of teams sign two players out of free agency, so I think it's wise for Bruce Arena to kind of get his shopping done early and to bring in two veterans uh, who will fill out that bench because um, last year the bench was a, a real weak spot. So, um, Sean, I, I will ask, though, with this signing, does this mean you expect Juan Jones to be a midfielder going forward, or do you think we see Dewan Jones still kind of back in that left-back or right-back spot in 2020? Honestly, with uh, the way the roster is shaping up right now, I think we're going to see Dewan Jones competing with Brandon Bay for that right-back spot. Um, I expect Brandon Bay to probably be the, the opening day starter at right-back, but I, I, I wouldn't be shocked if Dewan Jones actually beats him out for that right-back spot, and I think that could be a good feeling for the Revolution. Um, you know, Maybe we'll see some of Jones at, on the wing positions, but the Revolution are still a lot deeper um, in midfield than they are at fullback, and you know there is no backup for Brandon By unless you know Andrew Farrell moves back out there, and we'll we'll probably talk more about that later. But I don't think that's happening. Um, so yeah, you know my guess is that Jones still sees most of his minutes at fullback. It's just going to be at right back this time. And you know we should note Jones is right footed. He's a guy that you know in college was creating chances from the right wing, and you know maybe he can put in a better cross with his right foot than Brandon By can. I, you know we haven't really had the opportunity to see that yet, uh, but there's the, there's a potential that he can. Um, I think he's a little bit faster than Brandon Bay, which is saying something because Brandon Bay is really fast. Um, so, you know, I, I think there's going to be a good opportunity for the two of them to compete and having competition for the right back spot, given Brandon Bay's performances last year were, you know, 
somewhat inconsistent, uh, I think is a good thing. And either way, the refs have options across the field, which again is a, a real rarity. It's been a long time since we've kind of looked at each position and saw competition across the field. So very exciting to kind of go into uh, the Christmas season uh, with so much depth across the board. Uh, the next sign the refs made with their two free agents uh, signed, sealed, and delivered. They went to the transfer market uh, and they went to Poland to sign Adam Buska. Uh, I, apologies if I'm mispronouncing that. It'll take me nine months to get it down. Uh, but Sean, um, you know, four million dollar transfer fee uh, from the Polish international, uh, the striker who will likely take over for Teal Bunbury uh, at the top there. Um, give me your grade on the signing and any other thoughts about uh, the newest rev. Yeah, I don't think it's a secret that neither of us are regular watchers of the Polish league. So um, our assessments of a books are basically based off of highlights and you know, scattering reports from people that have watched him. Um, you know, going into the offseason, I said what the Revolution needed up top was a target striker, a big guy that could win the ball, uh, tee it up for guys like Gustavo Bo and Carlos Hill to kind of run on to and, and get that shot off. And you know, he seems like that type of player. He seems like a guy that can win headers in the air and that can lay the ball off to to key guys like Gustavo Bo and Carlos Hill. Uh, you know, how does that translate going from the Polish league to MLS? I don't really know. Um, I think the potential there that this is a great signing for the Revolution. He's a you know a young player, uh, a lot of promise. There's been a lot of interest in him and other teams over in Europe. So it's not like he's an unknown quantity. Um, obviously, there's 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 interest in this guy. Uh, so I think it's a good signing for the Revolution right now. I'm going to give it a B um, with the potential that he comes over here and really lights things up and it turns into an A. Uh, again, it, it's hard to to be too certain about a signing like this because the Polish league is not the highest standard. Um, I think it, you know. From, from what little I know about the Polish League, I think you could you know, probably make a case that MLS is a better league than the Polish League. Um, so, you know, looking at Adam Buska, looking at his highlights, I think he's the type of player the Revolution needs. I just don't know how that translates to MLS. You know, there have been some examples of more experienced players coming over here from the Polish League and, and doing really well. Um, so we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm giving it a B for now. Yeah, and I would also say, too, that he's 23 years old. I, he checks a lot of boxes in my book. He's 23 years old, so he's young. He can still develop. Um, again, I'm not an expert on him whatsoever, uh, but just looking at, you know, kind of the resume and that other teams have been interested in him. There are some offers from Italy. There were some offers from the English Championship. Uh, West Brom was in on him. Rangers was in on him. Um, the Revs seem to have won a bidding war for this guy, which is. Really kind of surprised. I mean, it's the first time in a long time that they've kind of gotten in a bidding war for someone and, and have won. So um, I think it's a bit of a risk because you know, we, we've talked before about the third DP slot um, and how kind of important it is for um, Bruce Arena because you're not just shaping your 2020 roster, you're shaping your 2021 and maybe your 2022 roster because Gustavo Bo is on a four-year contract, so he's got three years left. I believe Carly Seal was on a three-year deal. I'm not sure about that one. Um, but either way, this is your third DP spot, uh, and and Busca is going to be here for the next three-ish years probably. So, um, you know, you, you can't go out and sign DPs next season. Uh, so, you know, I think this was one that Bruce Arena had to be 100% sure of, uh, and this seems to be a guy that, you know, he's going to be a striker. Uh, he can kind of drift into wide areas. Uh, he can unleash a shot from anywhere, it looks like. Um, he's great at heading, it seems. Uh, as I say, I'm going off of highlight <laughs> highlight films. So, uh, you know, I, I'm doing the best scouting that I can uh, based off of uh, videos I'm finding on YouTube and Twitter. But um, overall, this looks like kind of a complete package um, that will fit into this team very, very well. And the other thing, too, that I'm a little excited about, too, is if you look at Gustavo Bo and you look at Busca, um, you know, 
you look at Carlos Hill and you look at Christian Pena, these are all guys that can shoot. They, they, they have some distance, uh, some range from distance. Um, they can really put a lot of shots on target. Um, with Busca, I, I noticed a lot of near misses for him. So I, I think if he gets a little bit more technically sound, um, if he gets trained up a little bit better, uh, I, I think that he might, we might see a lot of goals from this guy in 2020 and 2021. Um, and the other thing too, that kind of struck me was that I remember Robert Kraft made a, uh, uh, a quote, uh, in the Sam Skykel uh, athletic, um, column, uh, when they revealed the training center, uh, and something, he said something to the effect of like every player we look at, we want to make sure it's a good investment. And, and I honestly think that they're signing this guy because they think in two or three years, bigger clubs are going to come calling for him. I mean, there are a lot of teams that are already calling for him now. So I, I think they see a lot of potential in this guy. Obviously, a lot of other teams do too. Um, I, I think if they bring him in and they train him, which they seem to be very, very serious about, you know, actually developing their players, which has been a huge weak spot uh, on the revolution in years past. Um, I think this guy might be a star on the revolution. I, I, I would not put it past 15 goals in 2020 for Busca. So I, I, I think it's a great fit. Um, as I say, is he going to be a, you know, superstar? Is he going to be in the world cup or Poland uh, in, in a few years? I wouldn't go that far. Um, no, probably not. Uh, but I, I think he's going to complement this team very, very well. Well, and, and it's another big uh, sign of intent from Robert Kraft that they went out there and signed a third designated player because the Revolution have never had a third designated player. Um, so that they're finally using that spot says a lot. And even early on in this offseason, there were quotes from Bruce Arena that you know, were, were very wishy-washy about whether or not the Revolution would go out there and get a third DP. Um, Arena you know, basically said, if the right guy's out there, we'll do it, but there's no pressure on us to go out and do it. So the fact that they went out there you know, pretty early on in the offseason, or at least before the preseason started and, and went out and got him, um, you know, does really show that the Revolution are kind of are going all in now for Bruce Arena. And, uh, you know, this is a year that the Revolution are going to try to actually go out there and, and win a championship. You don't sign a third DP um, if you see this as a rebuilding year. No, absolutely. And and I think it's kind of the opposite, because as I said, you know, you have your three DPs solidified for at least a two year window. So in my mind, you want to win as soon as possible with these players, because, you know, who knows if Gustavo Bo is going or Carlos Hill is going to have an injury, you know, down the line or if they kind of hit their peak and start to decline a little bit off. Uh, so I, I think this, you know, the top of the roster has been solidified for 2020 and most of 2021 as well. So I, I think this is a really, really big signing. But if you were to ask me, you know, what would I like to see out of a third DP? I'd probably say, you know, a 20. A young 20-year-old striker who has a high potential who, you know, and as he's unknown to us. But as I say, you know, that $4 million transfer fee looks very justified based on other teams' interests. So, um, you know, I, I, I give it an A- minus. Uh, with the potential to be an A. I, I think he could be a very, very good player. As I say, I expect double digits this season. If he gets 30 starts, I, I'm marking putting down 15 goals from this guy. So uh, I want to mention one other fact, too, because uh, a lot of people mentioned if you go on transfer market and you look at this guy, um, you'll notice that there was a transfer fee of 400000 for him two years ago. Um, and it's worth noting that uh, Seth uh, McComer from the Bent Musket uh, did a bit of a scouting report on him. There's some good details in there. And in that uh, uh 
article where he's interviewing a reporter from Poland, uh, they say that the $400,000 transfer fee was actually a purchase option uh, that Busca's old team uh, had him on loan uh, and exercised a purchase option. So that $400,000, I saw some people saying, you know, he was worth this two years ago. Um, that really wasn't his value. That was just a purchase option that was executed. Uh, so um, it, on, he, he went on loan. He basically outperformed what people expected of him. Uh, and then the, the purchase option was a, a bit of a no-brainer for uh, for Busca's old team. So uh, don't don't get kind of uh, – don't look too much into that transfer fee from two years ago because it wasn't indicative of his value. I think that $4 million transfer fee is uh, more or less a solid deal, deal all the way around. Uh, one other signing too, Sean, uh, from uh, Europe, the Revs signed Samba Kamara, uh, who shall be known as Samba 2 from now on. We got rid of Caicedo 2, uh, and we bring in Caldwell 2 and Samba 2. Uh, but this is a TAM signing. Uh, Sean, what do you think of Samba 2? Uh, why don't we give this uh, uh, signing another grade uh, based on what you expect from him this season? Yeah, I- I'm skeptical of this one. I mean, uh, he's a guy that's 27 years old and has 65 first-team appearances. Um, he got his debut under Bob Bradley, interestingly enough, in France. So I- I'm sure that Bruce Arena talked to Bob Bradley uh, about him and you know, kind of got a scouting report from him. And I'm sure he's you know, seen him play a lot. Um, but... You know, a 27-year-old center back that is playing in the second division of France and has played in the third division and the fourth division and only has 65 first-team appearances, has played a lot of games for the second team, uh, there doesn't really seem like a TAM signing to me. Um, So, you know, I I think, again, when you go back to what we discussed the revolution needed to do in this offseason, it was go out and get a target striker. And I I think they did that with Buxa, and that's great. I think he's going to work out. Um, and get a kind of an aerial presence at center back was one of the other things that I had mentioned. And uh, Samba seems like he is that aerial presence at center back. I'm just not sure he's good enough. Um, you know, I also question if, you know, Bob Bradley was such a huge fan of his, why when he was starting out at LAFC, he didn't make a move to bring him over. And maybe there were other reasons why he couldn't. And uh, you know, the transfer fee was too high or something. I kind of have trouble believing that. Um, but I'm very skeptical of this one. And I'm kind of taking a wait and see approach. You know, it, it doesn't, get me too excited to see a 27 year old with 65 first team appearances that's pretty late in his career to kind of make a breakthrough for the first team especially when he's playing you know second division soccer in france that's not a bad league but um i just don't know that it's a tam signing so we'll see what happens there but i'm going to give this one a c for now um again i think it's the right type of signing of the revolution needed i think they need a center back in the mold of samba too i just don't know that he has the quality um you know, with, with Buxa, I, you know, have some questions because obviously the Polish League isn't the highest standard, but there's a lot of reason to be excited about that signing. There were other teams interested. I I can't get the same level of excitement for a guy like Samba, um, who I don't think there's been much interest in, at least not publicly. Um, and again, who only has 65 first team appearances and is, you know, 27 years old. He is in the prime of his career. Um, he should be a regular starter and he should have been a regular starter for several years if he was a good player. Um, I just don't know that that makes him, you know, Worthy of, of TAM yeah. money. Yeah, and, and some people have kind of said, because I got asked about this and I was um, driving back home for the holidays, and I kind of said, you know, I, I haven't looked really that deep into it, um, but the fact that he has coming from a, a, a lower division team is, you know, I, I don't have a lot of confidence and he doesn't really have the resume, which is what you're kind of saying right here. Um, and, and they kind of said, well, Carles Hill was in the, I think he was in the second division of Spain or wherever. Uh, that's a little different because he, he was in the premier league and he was in some top flight teams. Kamara's never been in a top flight team. And, you know, if he was coming from the English championship, which is what Michael Mancien did, um, 
okay, you know, I think Claude Dielna came from the English Championship. English Championship. Okay, I, I can kind of see it. Um, but the French League too was not. I don't think it's as good of a league as the English Championship. It's um, not. And and you're right. I mean, he he's never made a first division appearance. So that would be one thing. In and and you're you're making the comparison to Busca. Well, Busca's 23. Um, and he's kind of on his way up and, he, you know, he made an appearance with the Polish national team. Um, I, I don't know where this interest in Kamara has come from. Um, to me, if this wasn't a TAM signing, I would have assumed it was kind of an out of contract. You know, he's coming over here to be a depth piece. But the fact that he's a TAM signing makes me think otherwise. Uh, it makes me think that maybe he's coming in to kind of rotate in and out. Um, I don't know if he'd start over De La Mea. I, I don't really see it at this point. Um, but you're right. He, he's kind of a very physical player. Um, again, there's another scouting report on, from the Bent Musket on him as well that kind of say he's not necessarily technically gifted, um, but he's a very physical player. And, and maybe that's what they're missing. And, and maybe they're just filling out the bench and adding some more depth at center back, which is a position that they need. Um, but overall, you know, going into this offseason, center back was a major, major um, position in need of an upgrade. And we ended the last season with Andrew Farrell, Tony De La Mea, uh, Jaleel Anibaba and Michael Mancien. And going into the season, we have Andrew Farrell, Tony De La Mea, Michael Mancien, and Samba Kamara. And so I don't, I, I feel like we have four center back twos. You know what I mean? We have, we have four kind of, you know, we, we don't, don't have that solid center back uh, that we can rely on that center back one uh, that that's kind of the star of the defense. We kind of just have four pieces that each kind of bring something a little bit different and maybe they'll mix and match throughout the season will go well. Um, but I'm not really confident on the signing. I'm going to give it a D plus. Um, I, I just, I mean, maybe he's great in the highlight packages I've seen of him. He looks okay. Uh, but bringing in him as a Tam signing is um, a really big surprise to me because I don't know if, I don't know if he's a starting quality. I, I don't know who the, the starting back, the starter, starting pairing at center back is. Uh, I'm I'm really confused at how Bruce Arena is going to manage the situation. Right, I completely agree with you, and I think you do look at the Revolution center backs right now, and you do have four very different players. So I do wonder if that is the the plan is kind of matchup by matchup for Bruce Arena to mix and match these guys based on who they're facing. Um, if, if that is the plan, I'm not sure that I'm a huge fan of that at the center back position because I do think chemistry and, and building a partnership there is really huge and important um, at that role more than anyone else. Uh, but, you know, I, again, Samba Kamara strikes me as the type of player that the revolution needed, that the type of player that could pair really well with Andrew Farrell. I think the weaknesses with Andrew Farrell um, and with De La May as well are, are kind of you know, that physicality and winning balls in the air and making sure that long ball over the top is always won or, you know, winning that cross. And Samba Kamara strikes me as the the type of player that could do that, but I'm just not sure the quality is there. He, you know, he's been at, I'm going to completely butcher the name, Le Havre, and I'm sure that's completely wrong, in France for seven years now, and he has 65 first-team appearances. Like, that, that you know, as a 27-year-old, for a guy that's playing in lower division in France, it just doesn't give me confidence um and that scouting report on the bent musket too you know like you said wasn't the most glowing report um you know there were some positives but it was also you know talked about his passing not necessarily being great and you know him being a solid player but not a star um so you know again as a as a tam guy i, I just don't see it yeah yeah it, it reminds me of the year the Red Sox went into the season and they said we have five aces and they said we have we have five really good pitchers none of them are aces but they're all, you know, they're all like number two or number three guys. And it was a complete disaster of a year. Um, that's kind of what this center back situation kind of reminds me of. Because 
you know, you bring back De La May on four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars salary. Okay, well, he started last year. He's probably a starter. Then you bring back Mancien at four hundred thousand. Okay, well, maybe he'll rotate in. And then you bring in Kamara too, and you're just kind of like, well, you know, if you're gonna give all these guys four hundred thousand, you know, why don't you just go out and sign another million-dollar center back and draft a fourth center back in the draft? And you know, why, why don't you go out and get a more expensive center back of that? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't really get it. I'm, I'm really curious to see how they end up managing it because their senior roster is basically full. They're kind of this is the team that's going into the season, and I don't feel they've really improved it. But I mean, maybe. Maybe using the same logic that I've used for Busca, maybe Kamara is a guy they can come in and they think they can train and they can kind of build up and, and kind of coach up. But, you know, there's a four year difference there at 27. Um, you know, can you really teach a, an old dog new tricks? I mean, is he really going to have this, you know, growth spurt at 27? Um, I, I don't really know. So he has a physical component, but, um, you know, I, I don't really think that this is the, you know, 30 star guy at, in the back line that we kind of hoped for at the beginning of the offseason. So. Well, the other question, too, is they have nine internationals now. So, you know, they have eight international yep. roster spots, nine internationals. So yeah. somebody, I assume, is getting a green card or somebody is getting traded. Um, you know, for, for a point of reference, De La Mea did get a green card in February 2018, and he joined the revolution in January 2017. So he did in barely over 12 months. Um, so in theory, you know, Christian Pena, uh, Luis Caicedo, Michael Mancien, Wilfred Zahibo could all potentially – uh, be in line to get a green card. But as of yet, we haven't heard of any of them getting one. So, uh, you know, nine internationals, eight spots. And that also, you know, adds a question mark here. Of, you know, is this guy good enough to take up your last international spot or your, your last plus one international spot? Right, right. And, and you know, there, some people have said Michael Mancian is working towards a green card. I don't know if anyone's actually reported that or if that's just something some people on Twitter are saying. That would make a lot of sense to me. Um, if, if Mancien is getting a green card, cause that kind of goes into, you know, another reason that the refs were interested in signing him. But, um, yeah, the nine internationals are Bo Bootner, uh, Luis Caicedo, uh, Carles Hill, Mancien, Pania, uh, Zahibo, Busca, and Kamara. Um, the refs can acquire an international roster spot. Usually that costs you a little bit of allocation money. Um, I, I don't have the trade log in front of me, but I think last year there was one that was acquired for about 150,000 in allocation money, something, something of that, that effect. So the revs could still work around it if they get, if they have nine internationals on the roster, but, um, you know, again, not a lot of flexibility. You're filling out your DPs, you're filling out your international roster spots. Um, so this looks like your team going into the season. Um, also, I, I don't want to, I, I tweeted this out um, a, uh, a few days ago at the announcement of the signing. And I think some people got mad at me and I'm not, I, I'm just throwing this out here, just throwing this out here. But if you're a big fan of FIFA ratings, I just want to read off uh, Camaro's FIFA ratings. Pace 65, shot 39, passing 49, dribbling 49, defense 64, physicality 78. Uh, overall rating 67. If you look at Claude Yelna's uh, ratings from 2018 when the Revs signed him, pace 66, shot 51, passing 57, dribbling 50, defense 65, physicality 83, overall 69. So uh, Kamara is in the, you know, I, I don't want to make that as a precursor of how I think he'll do with the Revs because I'm not putting a whole lot of weight into FIFA ratings. Uh, but you can kind of expect the same type of player that we saw from uh, Claude Yelena, a big physical guy. Um, hopefully we get some better results out of uh, Sama Kamara. But uh, Sean, let's get into some listener questions. And um, Zach and Joe, both on Twitter, kind of We've kind of already gone into this a little bit, but they ask about Andrew Farrell. Uh, does he retain his center back position or does he shift back to right back? Um, we've kind of talked about the back line a little bit because there's been some signings uh, along there. Um, what do you think the plan with Andrew Farrell is? Uh, and do you think he's going to shift back to his natural position? 
Yeah, honestly, for much of last season, I assumed he was going to eventually go back to right back. But, you know, if you look at his play under uh, Bruce Arena, I actually think his time at center back under Bruce Arena was his best time as far as performance-wise for the Revolution at any point in his career. I thought his performances at center back, um, he was the Revolution's best defender last season in that role. Uh, so with that in mind, I think he's going to stay at center back, and I'm, I'm actually pretty confident about it. Um, you know, I, I, again, I think his offensive side of his game at right back never really developed in the way that you hoped it would. And at this stage in his career, I think it's you know perhaps foolish to think that it will. Um, but he played so well at center back under Bruce Arena. I don't see why you would move him back to right back again. You know, you know, I've talked a lot about Brandon by and, and my feelings on him and him not necessarily being good enough to be a everyday starter for the revolution there. Um, but I think Farrell by the end of last season was the revolution's best center back. So I expect him to be starting uh, regularly at center back for the revolution next year and not to make that shift back to right back. Yeah. And I agree. I still think that Farrell might be your best center back on this team. So, you know, it, it's not a perfect fit, um, but I, I think Andrew Farrell will start the season at center back. I think if Brandon by continues to struggle, maybe they give Dewan Jones a few starts and they kind of end up shifting Farrell back to right back out of necessity, kind of like they shifted him into center back uh, last season out of necessity. Um, I, I think they might shift Farrell back, you know, out to right back, I don't know, 10 games in the season, 12 games into the season. Um, but overall, if I was a betting man, I would say that Andrew Far- Farrell, uh, makes most of his starts at center back. And I also, if I was a betting man, I would say that Andrew Farrell has the most starts at center back um, out of all the four center backs on the roster. So, um, yeah, I, we're in agreement on this one, Sean. Um, but there is a question about Brandon Bai. Uh, David Sibillion on Twitter asks us, does Bai move back to the midfield? I think Bai has been great considering he's been playing out of position, and I think he got better later in the season. But wouldn't Bai have more pace than Farrell in tracking back? Um, so... Um, yeah, I mean, do you think Brandon By obviously they want to push him up and get him into the crossing game. Uh, do you expect him to maybe get some more minutes pushing up into the midfield? I mean, I think ideally, yes, but I don't think he will. I think, uh, again, he's going to be the Revs right back going into this season uh, just because they haven't signed anyone else to replace him. Um, I mentioned earlier that maybe Jones takes that spot, but you know, barring that, I think Brandon Bay is going to be the right back. Um, you know, with that said, under Bruce Arena, a lot of the times it looked like he was playing midfield uh, more than right back and kind of filling that role as a right winger when they had Carlos Gil, uh, Carlos Gil kind of as the the right mid de facto right mid when he was really cutting inside, and you know, Bay wasn't having that much defensive responsibility, at least not in the way he was playing. Um, so you know, maybe we'll see more of that this year, but you know. At the end of the day, I think if Brandon Bay doesn't develop into a good right back, he's not going to have much of a role in this team because I think the Revolution have a lot more depth, again, in the midfield, and it's a lot more crowded there to get playing time. Um, and I don't think Brandon Bay necessarily has the offensive skill set to you know, be an out-and-out right winger. Um, so you know, I, I expect right back to be his spot this season, and you know, barring somebody else getting signed, I think that's where he's going to play most of his minutes. Uh, you know, maybe down the road sometime he becomes a rotational piece at right midfield. But right now, given the roster, I think right back's where Brandon Bay is going to be. Yeah, sorry, I, I kind of got confused on that last question too, because I, I think Dave is making the case that Bay uh, should stay at right back, and I kind of misread that question. Uh, so, uh, but yeah, I agree with you and everything you said there, Sean. Um, Robert Fernandez has another question about the back line. Do you see Arena using three at the back like he used a few times last year or more of a traditional four at the back? Uh, Sean, what do you think the um, Revs, do you think we see a bit of a formation change? Do you think we kind of see, because I know last year we saw um, a lot of, uh, you know, three center backs kind of playing back and Brandon by pushing all the way up or Dewan Jones pushing all the way up. Uh, do you kind of see uh, more of a traditional four defenders kind of holding steady uh, in, in that back line a little bit more this season? 
you know, I expect to see a regular four-man backline for most of the games this season. I do think, you know, there could be situations where the Revolution go into a game and Bruce Arena sees matchup-wise it makes sense to have a three at the back. You know, uh, on paper, and Andrew Farrell with Sam Kamara in the middle and, and De La Maya as your left center back, you know, could perhaps work as a, you know, three-man center back and then have Butner as kind of a left wing back and Bai as a right wing back. That could work. Uh, but you look at the Revolution's roster again, and I, I don't think it fits with the rest of the roster. I think if you play a, you know, five-man back line, um, there's no room for a guy like Christian Pania. Uh, I don't know where he plays if you were to play like a 5-3-2 um, or, or a 3-5-2 even. Um, and I think Christian Pania offensively can be one of the Revs' better players when he's at the top of his game. You know, I also don't really see a role for Diego Fagundes in a system like that. And, you know, who knows if Diego Fagundes is here um, all season, you know, given his contract ends at the end of next year. And, you know, there's been talks about him wanting to leave in the past. Um, but I think with the roster the Revolution have, uh, they're better off still kind of playing a four-man back line. Yeah, and a five-man back line, you kind of see the potential there because you can just play three or four center backs or, you know, have Farrell be one of them and, and kind of rotate the other three uh, at center back positions. And then, yeah, you, you know, you can push up by or Jones on the right side and you can push up Butner. Uh, you know, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, but the problem is, who are you taking off? Um, I know some people thought last year that maybe Pania could be a left wing back, um, but I'm not totally sure about that one because he's not great at getting back um defense he obviously doesn't like playing defense too too much so that that 5-3-2 kind of takes away um a really good player one way or another so i'm not sure how you fill out the midfield and the attacking side of it if you kind of go with that five-man backline um but yeah so i i think we're going to kind of see more of a uh four-man backline as you said um but yeah, I, I don't know. There's a number of ways they can do these combinations, and I'm I'm not really sure what Bruce has up his sleeve. But as I say, he has a lot of options. Uh, Josh Nye says starting eleven predictions for the start of 2020. Uh, Sean, you want to take a stab at this one? Sure. Yeah. I mean, Matt Turner in goal, obviously. I don't think there's any question there. Um, Hell yeah. You look you look at the back line. Uh, I would assume Butner at left back. Um, again, I do have questions there, but at least to start the season, I think Butner at left back, uh, De La Maya and Farrell at center back, Brandon Byatt right back. I think your your central midfield, um, you know, it's probably going to be Luis Caicedo and Wilfred Zahibo again. And if you look at you know kind of that that back six, and are a bit disappointed by the lack of changes, I think you're kind of right to be disappointed by the lack of changes there with Butner, you know, potentially the only change there. And maybe Kellen Rose steps in for Zahibo. Um, I think if that happens, you have a very, very undersized central midfield. And uh, to me, that's kind of problematic too. Um, but yeah, you know, that, that back six there, I don't think there's going to be that many changes unless there's more signings. And um, I think people are going to be disappointed with that. And then, you know, I kind of think we'll see Carles Heel as that kind of that de facto uh, sort of right midfielder again, um, where, you know, even though he's sort of playing centrally, he's kind of the right wing guy and Baez kind of relied on for um, the outside width. And I think Carlos Hill is very good at cutting in from the outside. Um, and I actually think he's been as most dangerous when he's playing on the right and cutting in from the outside. That's when he looks most dangerous going at goal. So I don't think that's a bad thing. So I expect to see him kind of there. Um, Pania on the left. I expect Gustavo Bo to sort of be that floating withdrawn striker that is not really a number 10 uh, not necessarily completely a striker either. Um, and then uh, Buxa to be the, the guy up top that is winning those balls and playing him back to Gustavo Boa in that number nine role. Um, so to me, there's a lot to be excited about uh, at the attacking side of that lineup. And, you know, a little bit of reason to be disappointed that there maybe weren't the changes you were hoping for in uh, a defense that was terrible under Brad Friedel and got better under Bruce Arena, but there's still a lot of question marks with. Yeah, I agree with everything you said, so I'm, I'm not going to repeat the, the same starting 11, but I think we're on the same page. And I also think, too, that Bruce Arena, 
you know, soccer is a little different from most sports because there isn't a whole lot of off-season time. Your, your season goes the majority of the year. So I think Bruce Arena is going to kind of carry over the same team at the start of the season, but that might not be what we see towards the end of the stretch, uh, you know, towards the, the summer months and, and down the home stretch. I, I think there'll be some changes in and out of throughout the lineup the, the year um, as time comes and goes. Um, but I think going into the season, yeah, we're going to see a lot of similarities coming into 2020. Bootner and Busca are essentially going to be the two key uh, changes uh, in that starting 11. And everyone else is more or less adept signing, it seems like. So um, David Civilian asks us another question. Does Teal Bunbury move back to the bench in a super sub role or does he play a winger uh, at the winger spot? Uh, Sean, how do you see Bunbury fitting into this team in 2020? Yeah, I think he's a super sub role. I think, you know, he's a change of pace striker. If you want someone to, you know, have a little speed up top, that's a different type of player than Buxa or he's a you know change of pace winger. Um, I think there's going to be plenty of minutes for him. Um, whether that's like as a rotational starter or as a super sub. But, you know, I really like what Teal Bunbury provides off the bench as a super sub. I think he's a guy that running at tired legs can be really dangerous. And we've seen that at times for the revolution. So I think that's a great role for Teal Bunbury. And I expect that that's where we'll see most of his minutes. But again, um, you know, he's one of the top guys, one of the first guys off the bench. So, you know, any injuries that happens, um, he'll find his way into that lineup. So I think he'll see a lot of time. But I, I don't expect him uh, to be part of the revolution's best 11. We, we kind of talked about it a second ago, but uh, and I agree with everything you said on Teal Bunbury. I think that kind of playing as the backup striker, coming at tired legs um, and, and being kind of a veteran who can give you a really, really good 20, 25 minutes is, is probably a better role for Teal Bunbury than throwing him out there for, for 90 minutes straight because there are just times where Teal Bunbury, you know, goes missing. Um, you know, you, you need to put him on the side of a milk carton box because uh, he's just gone completely vanished. Uh, so I think Teal Bunbury coming off the bench and being a backup winger or a backup striker is, is really a good role for Teal Bunbury. Um, but there's another guy that you mentioned a few minutes ago, Diego Fagundes, who is also going to have more of a reduced role this season. Um, we talked about him potentially leaving the club. Um, Frank DeLapa reported last offseason that 2020 is his last option year with the revolution. And there have been talks, you know, I know last year he went to, there's rumors of him going to Uruguay. Uh, you know, his dad obviously made comments about uh, him wanting to leave at the end of the 2018 season. Um, I think it was the end of the 2018 season. Uh, so, I mean, do you expect Diego Fagundes to be on the revs uh, in 2020? And uh, if he is, what do you expect his role to be? Yeah, I mean, if I look at the Revolution's roster, I still think that Diego Fagundes is probably your second best option at that left wing role behind Christian Pena. I've seen a lot of people say that Kellen Rowe is going to see minutes there. You know, I, I really don't like Rowe that much in that role. I still think Rowe is a center midfielder. And, you know, if he's going to be on the wing, he's probably better off in the right wing because he is a guy that isn't the best crosser, but he is capable of putting a cross him with his right foot. I just, I just don't see him as a left winger, um, even though we've seen him get the minutes there in the past. To me, Diego Fagundes, if he's going to play, it's to you know kind of be a rotational guy or a backup guy um, to Christian Pena, and he's also going to play that with Thrawn striker role if, if need be. Uh, but again, you know, unless he's had a change of heart um, and has said, you know, I, I love this new training facility, I love working for Bruce Arena, I want to sign for more years, you know, Bruce Arena's given me an opportunity to play more minutes this year, or at least an opportunity to compete for a starting spot. You know, I, I think the Revolution do perhaps look to move him um, in this offseason, whether it's to another league to, you know, get some transfer fee. Um, I'm not sure what his value is, given how little he played last year, or given, you know, his, his minimized role last year, or somewhere else in the league. Um, and, you know, again, unless he's had a change of heart and said that he wants to potentially sign for more years, I think it makes a lot of sense for the Revolution to look to move him sooner rather than later, um, well, or if there's still any value. Yeah, and one thing that I should have looked up beforehand, but I'm looking up now, it looks like he is 24 years old. He's turning 25 next February, so he'll be 25 soon. I believe you have to be 28 to be a free agent. 
So, I, I mean, his contract will end at the end of the season, allegedly. I can't imagine he signs a long-term extension with the Revs if he's going to be a backup. He's still only 25 years old. Uh, so, you know, he, he still has a long career ahead of him. He's got at least, you know, five years at, at, at the minimum. So I can't imagine he's going to be on a year-to-year contract in New England. So I'm curious to see what the conversations are behind closed doors. And, and the fact that it's been really quiet is really surprising to me because um, I know last season it didn't look like they are going to be you know, th- this was not going to be a uh, match uh, made in heaven going forward. Uh, and it seemed like Fagundes wanted to see his options elsewhere. And the Revs have kind of held on to him. Um, I-, I wonder at this point if the Revs just see him as a bench guy who can kind of play left wing. He can kind of play that center attacking role like he did in 2018 if you need him to. Um, you have Kellen Rose, so you don't really need him in a cent- central midfield role anymore. But, um, you know, he can kind of be a winger across the board, right right wing, left wing, wherever you need him. Uh, but I wonder if the Revs just kind of say, we'll hold on to him. And then when his rights come up at the end of the year, if he wants to, you know, be go somewhere else in, in Major League Soccer, you know, we'll trade his rights there because he won't be a free agent. Um, if he wants to go internationally, obviously the Revs are going to be missing out on any compensation whatsoever. But, um, you know, the fact that we are at the new year in 2020, uh, and the Revs roster seems pretty filled out at this point. Uh, and Fagundes doesn't really clear a lot of salary. He doesn't clear an international roster spot or anything like that. So um, I think the Revs just kind of see value in holding him uh, and, and letting the chips fall when his contract expires. Um, moving on to uh, Revolution Report asks us, uh, are you happy with the current squad? We kind of hinted at this a second ago, Sean. Um, what, what, what about a grade? Let's give a grade to this roster uh, and the offseason as a whole. Uh, how do you feel about the offseason moves so far for the Revolution and, and grade the current squad? Yeah, I mean, I, I saw five positions that the Revolution um, could use upgrades at, you know, realistically, if you're trying to not change the whole roster, five positions that the Revolution could use upgrades off in this offseason. Um, I certainly think they upgraded the the number nine role, which is you know perhaps the most important one. Um, so a lot of credit to them for going out there and getting a young designated player for that role. Um, I thought they needed to fix the left-back spot, and I think they have. Whether or not Butner works out, I think, you know, Setsinovic is going to be a, a better option for them this year than they have had in years past um, either way. Um, so that's great. They fixed those two roles. You know, I, I thought that central midfield was the one spot where they could upgrade and kind of have the most influence. You look at guys like Jermaine Jones and Shari Joseph, um, guys that were key contributors to the Revolution's MLS Cup teams, uh, and that really helped carry the team to MLS Cups over several years um, with their contributions in midfield. And I still don't think the Revolution have that player there. So that was actually kind of the role where I thought the Revolution should go out and, and spend a lot of money potentially on a DP to, to fix that. Um, those players aren't easy to find. Um, so, you know, certainly can't blame the revolution for not going out there and finding that guy. Um, but you know, I don't think they did enough there. You know, we talked about the center back position. I don't think they necessarily did enough there. We talked about the right pack position. Um, there was some improvement by Brandon by at the end of last year. I think, you know, Dewan Jones could potentially grow into that role. Um, but I'm not sure they did enough there either. So I, I see as, you know, two of those roles, I think they did what they need to do. Three of them, you know, I'm not sure that they did. You know, again, it's probably unrealistic that the Revolution actually go out and upgrade five spots in the offseason. Um, but their roster is pretty much complete based on, you know, the number of senior roster spots they filled up. So, you know, I, I look at this offseason and right now I give it a B because it's great that the Revolution went out there, signed all these guys, filled their roster before preseason uh, started and actually have a chance to get all these guys integrated. Um, and I think the Revolution roster is certainly better than it was last year and, and good enough to, you know, compete for a higher seed in the playoffs. I'm, I'm still not sure it's good enough to contend. Uh, but I definitely think it's good enough to compete for a higher seed in the playoffs this year. Um, so I give it a B um, in kind of a you know 
questionable that it could go higher depending on whether, you know, Samba Kamara is a lot better than we think he's going to be. And if, you know, Buxa really hits the ground running and, and is a phenomenal player. Um, so B for now. Um, and, you know, with the assumption that there's not going to be many more moves coming because there's not much room left in the roster for them to do that. Right. I, I'm actually going to give it an A minus. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm happy happy with the moves they've made you know you needed a striker up top and you needed a left back those were the two really huge holes that i think um you needed with center back being a very close kind of second slash third um and, and they addressed their two biggest needs going into next season i think they're going to be a very dangerous offensive team um with that being said you know and, and you mentioned right back I, i'm kind of okay with brandon by at right back or pushing Farrell to right back i mean it's not the best option but you know you're not going to have an all-star at every position so i, I i'm kind of fine with being satisfied with Brandon by he made some strides there at right back and you can put in Jones or you can put in Farrell. There, there are some options to go there. Um, overall, I think they needed depth across the board at the back line, which they have now, uh, and they needed a, a striker. So I'm kind of okay with the decisions they've made. Um, but with that being said, I'm not giving this an A because you look at this team, I'm still not sure if we're there at MLS cup level. Um, and as you said, they're, they're pretty full at this point. Um, you know, we talked about senior roster, supplemental roster, reserve roster earlier in the season. Uh, for those that don't know how the rosters work, there are 30-man rosters uh, for each MLS team. 20 of them are senior roster spots. You have uh, four supplemental roster spots. And you have six reserve roster spots. Uh, and basically reserves, as I say, are homegrown players and draft picks. So uh, right now it looks like uh, Renix, Firmino, Damian Rivera, uh, Jeff Caldwell, those are your kind of reserve player guys. Supplemental, I'm not going to break it down each role, rule or whatever, but um, supplemental roster guys are like Taeyeon Buchanan and Isaac Hanking. Also kind of the same thing, but the salary is a little bit different. Um, I think Generation Adidas players go on there. Um, and then your senior roster spots are basically unrestricted. Uh, so Scott Caldwell was on the supplemental roster last season. He signed an extension. I'm not sure if that automatically moves him to the senior roster or if it moves him to the roster for any reason. It's really unclear. Some, some homegrown players are eligible for the supplemental roster. Uh, but basically, long story short, if uh, Scott Caldwell is no longer eligible for the supplemental roster and he's moved to the senior roster, the refs have no senior roster spots remaining. Uh, they filled out their 20-man senior uh, <laughs> senior roster spots. Uh, so if that's being you know if if that's the case, then they don't have any room to bring anyone during the season. They can't trade for anyone. Uh, they can't sign anyone from abroad when the international uh, transfer windows open up in, in the summer and their seasons end. Um, basically, the only spots to fill out at this point are draft picks and homegrown signings. Uh, so, you know, if, if that's the case, I, I'm really not floored with their ability to bring in someone midseason if they need to out of necessity. Um, I'm I'm a little I don't know, concerned about that, to say the least. So um, if Scott Caldwell is still on the supplemental roster, there's one spot open, and that would make me sleep a little bit better at night. Um, but overall, it, yeah, there's there's not a whole lot of flexibility going into the season. I, I know that you know we're going to make fun of roster flexibility later on in this podcast. Um, but I, I think one roster spot on the senior roster would be a um, – huge boost for this team because as i say you know you're going to want to trade for someone in the middle of the season i know they didn't really do that last year they brought in gustavo bow and that was their only um mid-season acquisition but um I, I don't know i i think if bruce arena is going into the season with their hands tied not having one senior roster spot open um as i say i i think if you're fighting for the buy spot or if you're you know fighting for playoff positioning and you have a couple injuries and you need to bring in someone I, that senior roster spot would be a huge huge uh, bump for this team yeah, I think, you know, when you look at this offseason, um, there's a lot of, you know, trusting Bruce Arena that he knows what he's doing. And, you know, Bruce Arena has given Revolution fans every reason to trust that he knows what he's doing so far. Um, but there's almost too much of that with the offseason moves. You know, 
this could be an A-plus offseason if you trust that Bruce Arena can turn Michael Mancian into the center back that Brad Frieda yeah. promised he would be, that he's going to be this veteran leader, uh, solidifying the back line, consistent player, stay healthy. You know, that would be huge for the Revolution. You know, this could be an A-plus offseason for the Revolution if Bruce Arena can turn Kellen Rowe into that player he was, looked like he was going to be in 2017 when Bruce Arena was calling him up to the national team. Um, but again, that requires a lot of trust to, to put that faith in Bruce Arena. And, and again, with Samba Kamara, you know, if Samba Kamara turns out to be that really good physical presence and becomes a consistent uh, force at center back and even becomes a starter back there next to Andrew Farrell and becomes that player that I talked about that I thought would complement Farrell's game really well, again, you know, that could push this to be like an A-plus offseason. Um, but, you know, and, and even a guy like Alexander Butner, who I think there's a lot of Revs fans out there that think of him as kind of a can't-miss signing. You know, I don't think of him that way. There's a lot of reason to be skeptical of that signing, especially in his 30s, when you know he's had those fitness issues, when you know he's shown up to, to camp overweight in the past, uh, when you know he's, you know, eight to nine months away from playing his last competitive game. But, you know, if he works out to be that, you know, great veteran player with that Manchester United pedigree that, you know, does what you think he can do. Again, you know, that grade goes up, but uh, you, there's every reason to trust Bruce Arena, but there's just so many signings this offseason that require you to, to really trust Bruce Arena to get on board them being great signings. Again, Books has a fantastic signing, I think, for the Revolution. He, you know, checks all those boxes you were talking about earlier. I agree with all of that. They needed that target striker to get a young guy that, you know, has a lot of promise and could potentially be a, a guy they sell down the road for a lot of money. That makes a whole ton of sense to me. You know, that's when I will certainly trust Bruce Arena on, especially given other teams are interested in. But there's just so many other signings that it comes down to trusting Bruce Arena on again. You know, that's why, as you know, as I said, everyone should be very excited that the Revolution have you know, pretty much a full roster at this point and are going into preseason with the team that, you know, should be their team next season. But there's a lot of reason to, you know, remain skeptical about some of these signings. And until they go out there and prove otherwise, you know, I, I'm struggling to give more than a B, even though I do think this has been a positive offseason. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. And as, as you, you brought up a lot of good points there with, um, you know, it depends on how these players play because, you know, I would have liked a TAM center back. And, and they did technically bring in a TAM center back. I'm just not sold on them yet. So maybe Samba 2 is this amazing player. But if he plays like Samba 1, then, you know, we still have as many holes at center back. And there was a, a piece that we retweeted from American Soccer Analysis. Um, I think it was Harrison Crow who wrote it. Um that talked about the back line and their issues, which every Revs fan knows about. But he brought up that Matt Turner, you know, we, we brought up all last season, the goals against, um, expected goals against Stat, that Matt Turner had one of the best seasons in the past decade uh, in MLS. Um, you know, I, I think he ended up around negative, what, eight or nine or something like that. Um, you know, if you look at the goals allowed from the Revs, they had 57 goals allowed. And that's with Matt Turner, you know, preventing about nine of them. Uh, he, he stood on his head and had one of the best uh, seasons uh, in MLS for a goalkeeper, um, even though he wasn't a finalist of the year. I don't want to go down to that, that path again. But, um, you know, 57 is hmm, third worst in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Montreal had 60. FC Cincinnati had 75 conceded. Um, but outside of that, no one else was above 55. So this team was already, you know, they're, they're defensively they were a very poor team last year i know most of that is um from the first half of the season they had some games where they gave up five six and so a lot of people might point to that 57 goals loud and say well you know that doesn't tell the whole story and that might be true 
but you also had a goalkeeper that prevented a ton of goals going down the stretch. So, you know, to, to say that this is the same kind of center back group, um, you know, we're going to need to see some improvement. Samba is going to have to be a lot better than Andy Baba. Mancian is going to have to play really good, uh, healthy. If not, I have a lot of concerns uh, about that center back pairing. Um, there was a couple of questions that I, I think just kind of answered. Uh, Mando said, biggest missing piece uh mando from from uh, discord by the way if you're not on the revs discord uh please get on we, we get questions uh, from there as well as twitter but uh, he asked what's the biggest missing piece uh, and mike kennedy says what talent gaps among the starting 11 remain and for me that's center back i, I still don't think this group has improved a lot again maybe mancien gets healthy and is amazing and is this million dollar tam signing that they thought you know that that friedel thought he was uh when he came over uh, maybe samba too is amazing I, i'm not sold on it and i think that you know, center back is a really, really crucial position that might be this team's downfall. Um, Sean, you got any other concerns throughout the field? No, I mean, I'm with you there. I think it's center back. And then, I, you know, there's still question marks at right back for me and at, you know, central midfield where I think, like you were saying with center back, where they have, you know, three or four guys that look like that number two center back on a team that's a, you know, good everyday starter besides a dominant force. I think at central midfield, they, they kind of have that too where, you know, Lewis Caicedo has been a great player. Scott Caldwell was a, you know, a solid guy, and Zahibo has been good. But, you know, at central midfield, which is such an influential position or can be such an influential position, that's the other place where I see is kind of a, a weakness that they don't have that truly dominant force there. And maybe maybe Caicedo develops into that. But, um, you know, those are the three spots that I see as potential weaknesses. Uh, one more Actually, we'll all skip ahead to this question, too. But Angus on Discord says, based on the current state of the league, where do the Revs finish at the end of the 2020 season? Uh, and I, I still think this is a team that's talented enough to make the playoffs. Um, but as we kind of have been hinting at, there's still some areas we would have liked to have seen improvement. I'm not sure if this is a top-tier team just yet. Uh, I, I put them in as the third seed in the Eastern Conference, fourth seed in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I, I think they might be able to get a home game considering how good they were at the end of the season, how good Gustavo Bo was to this team, uh, how Carlos Gil finished the season, uh, and my faith in Adam Busca, who I, I still think is going to be a great, great player. Uh, Sean, are you as optimistic as me? I'm gonna I'm gonna predict right now third in the Eastern Conference. What do you say? I, I'm kind of on the same page. I was gonna go with fourth, but you know, you look at the Eastern Conference. There's still a lot of question marks around every other team, um, with the exception of maybe Atlanta United. And I look at a team like Atlanta United, and I ask if the Revolution roster is as good as Atlanta United's is now, and my answer is still no. Um, and I think there's a couple other teams in the Eastern Conference that maybe aren't there yet, but we'll get there given um, you know their rosters aren't necessarily complete at this point. Uh, so I, I I agree with you. I think that they can be a top four team this year, but I put them you know at the bottom of that top four and either the the four or the three spot uh sandra lawson asks us some questions that we've already answered uh going into the offseason you stated our most needed updates uh upgrades were at center back uh defensive midfield or was it right back i think we said both uh both we we, we mentioned both positions uh and striker uh how well did they meet these needs uh we kind of answered that question already um you know uh, striker and uh well striker and left back uh were big pluses but uh still lacking a little bit in central midfield uh, and center back um she also asked about uh, farrell being center back and right back uh and she says that she feels that farrell has won the center back position for now he was the best defender last year uh she hopes for a right back with more offensive potential than what andrew farrell has shown um so i guess they'll roll with brandon byer Juan jones but maybe an upgrade in the future uh and she also asked were you surprised at the mancian re-signing which we've all asked but i wanted to get those questions in because uh, we appreciate those questions um so, yeah, and not much more to add. Uh, we've kind of covered that all, all throughout the year. But, yeah, three, four seed in the Eastern Conference. I, I think that's a really fair assessment uh, and expectation going into the season uh, for the Revolution. I mean, certainly with the way they played down the stretch, um, you know, I, 
and the other thing too that's a bit surprising is that I think when Bruce Arena took over this team, we expected wholesale changes across the board. Uh, and really what we ended up getting was essentially just some minor tweaks to the bench, uh, some minor tweaks to the depth, uh, a, you know, a DP striker, a TAM left back, and a TAM center back. That, that isn't really a whole lot of changes. He didn't really flush out the whole roster and turn it all over. He hasn't traded, you know, Teal Bunbury or Diego Fagundes away, which we might have thought, you know, in July or August of last season. So uh, I think a lot of Revs uh, players saved their jobs uh, for 2020 with how well they played. And I think Bruce Arena has a lot of faith in that group. So we'll see how it ends up going. But looking towards the future, Revolution Report asks us, any players you like for the Revs in the Super Draft? Uh, Sean, you and I both are not big fans of the Super Draft. Used to uh, be. We keep... <laughs> <laughs> we, yeah, you're, it's no longer 2011 when you're going down to Baltimore to cover, uh, doing doing podcasts uh, from uh, Baltimore to cover the uh, Super Draft. Um, but also M- MLS is kind of withdrawing from the Super Draft as well. It's, this is the first year it's going to be all via conference call. Um, but you know, we don't really know a whole lot of college soccer players going into it. Mock drafts have not really dropped just yet. So um, I'm, I, I kind of started doing a little bit of research into this and then kind of said, well, you know what, this is basically just going to be guessing at this point. So I'm not really sure. The other thing, too, is that usually there's a spot on the team that the Revs need. I remember last year um, the Revs needed a left back. I think they – I forget if they had Edgar Castillo at this point. Uh, but I looked at John Nelson from UNC and, and saw that some people were high on him, and he ended up going 10th between Taylor Buchanan and Dewan Jones. Um, so, you know, normally there's a position of need for the Revs. This year, there, as, as we've said, you know, there's – 25 guys on this team i believe uh no 26 there's 26 uh players on this team um, including jeff caldwell so there isn't really a whole lot of players to add to this roster uh they have four picks in the uh first and second rounds two in the first two in the second um what we we can't really get into names because as i say we're kind of just guessing at um you know who is the highest ceiling who bruce arena likes it it, our analysis wouldn't really be that impactful but um i'm going to change the question to do you think that any of the super draft picks will have an impact on the 2020 season yeah, when I look at the Super Draft, I look at what is the Revolution Academy not producing, and you know what the Revolution Academy hasn't been producing is defenders. So you know when I go look at the Super Draft strategy, I think um, you know we talked about the Revolution having four center backs in the roster, but you know maybe that's an area where you go and draft somebody and see if they can push those guys and uh, maybe get some minutes there. Uh, right back certainly, if you could find a natural right back to you know challenge Brandon By and Dewan Jones for that role. Um, I think that would make some sense. I really don't see anyone, the Revolution draft uh, in this Super Draft, getting lots of minutes. You know, again, all pending whether the Revolution trades somebody off the senior roster. I think if you look at the senior roster, there's depth at every position. Um, and you look at the talent in recent Super Drafts uh, or the lack thereof, and it's hard to say that somebody's going to come through that and, and step up this season to really compete for minutes. But if, if I was going to look at specific positions it would be center back and right back and maybe left back as well um to find a young guy there because the revolution's two left back now are both you know on the wrong side of 30 um and defensively again the revolution academy just hasn't really produced anyone um at least that the first team has signed to this point yeah and uh, you know looking at the picks this year the the revs have the sixth overall pick which they got from kansas city uh in the christian nimeth deal they have their first round pick which is number 13 they have uh number 30 from the kai kamara trade uh and then pick number 43 for the um dc united trade that they made last year in the 2019 super draft um you know i know drafts are a lot of fun uh, and I, I, you know, we, we did this last year too. You know, if you can get any minutes out of, out of players from the super drafts, that's a win. Um, if you can get any, um, players that 
put in minutes like Brandon by. I know a lot of people criticize Brandon by, uh, and you know, he's not a great right back or whatever. Well, you know what? I mean, that's still a really good pick. If you can get a starter at MLS for multiple years, uh, at pick number eight or nine or whatever he is, I mean, that, that, that was a good pick by Brad Friedel, um, and Mike Burns, uh, and Dewan Jones was a great pick and Taeyeon Buchanan showed some flashes last year. That looked like a really good pick too. This is something that the Revs have actually turned out to be really good at in the past couple of years. Um, but with that being said, I don't, I don't expect anything this year because, you know, you, you can say, well, maybe a center back, maybe a right back. I, I think they're going to get some high ceiling um, underclassmen, maybe sophomore, maybe freshman, maybe juniors. I don't know who's available, who's, who's available for selection this year. But um, and, and I think that we're going to see some guys sent down to revs, too. Uh, they do have, as I said, potentially four four spots open, maybe one senior roster spot and three reserve spots. Um, maybe it's four reserve spots. Um, either way, I, I think they're going to fill up their reserve roster with three of these four guys. Um, one of these spots I expect to be traded. It might be number six overall. I could see an expansion team liking another player and you know buying a pick. I think last year uh, someone traded pick 15 and 150,000 for pick number five or something like that. I, I could see the Revs kind of pulling Philadelphia Union and selling number six or number 13 for some allocation money, stashing it away and, and using it for a future asset. Because um, I, I just don't see the need for four players coming out of college. They might fill up the, the bottom of the roster and they might contribute to USL too. But, you know, there there isn't a whole lot of minutes to go around with this, uh, with this team. So I, I'm not sure if this is a gear that the Revs can put a lot of stock into. Right. And realistically, after those first round picks, I think the best you can hope for is that the, the guys sign for, you know, Revs too. So, you know, best case scenario at a six and 13 with Revolution, keep them. You get two guys that make the senior roster, I think. Yeah. You, I mean, six and 13, you, you, you know, you expect to make the roster, but 30 and 43, I mean, you know, second round picks aren't necessarily going to make the roster. You know, I'm Napa Matasoso coming out of Kentucky. I think he was picked 40 or something like that. And he didn't sign with the team. Basically a second round pick is an invite to a, a camp uh, and, and doesn't mean anything else. I, I think there was a tweet last year from, we'll uh, forget who sent it out. Um, and I would have to go fact check this, but I think three first round picks last season didn't even sign with their teams. So, you know, this this the super draft is becoming a vehicle that just over time is becoming less and less um, reliable for talent. It, it's a long way from um, Andrew Farrell being taken first overall and being in the league for a decade or Kellen Rowe being taken third. And you can expect high things from him, um, you know. Sure, there's going to be a Julian Russell coming out of super draft every now and then, and, and you might strike gold. Um, but really, if pick thir- six or thirteen turn out to be give you any sort of minutes and any sort of positive contribution. I mean, that's a, that's a big win for the revs. So um, I don't know if I'm, if I'm Bruce arena, I'm looking at pick number six and there are some bottom bottom feeder teams that, you know, have a spot open and really want a college player. I I'd sell that off for allocation money. Cause I think that pick is going to be way more valuable to someone else uh, than the revolution this season. Uh, I do want to bring up one more point too, though, is that I mentioned that pick number 43 uh, was acquired by the Revs in that DC United trade. It was a trade that, I don't know if you remember this, Sean, we, we had some thoughts about last year. Do you remember what I'm talking about? I, I am blanking on it for the moment. So last season in the 2019 Super Draft, the Revs made a deal. And basically they were just checking out of the draft and going home early. But they traded their 2019 Super Draft pick. Uh, to DC United, along with their third and fourth round super draft picks in 2020 for a DC's second rounder this year. So basically, if you want numbers out of that, they traded the 33rd overall draft pick last year and the 65th and 91st picks this year for the 43rd pick this year. They traded 33, 65, and 91 for a 43. Uh, so not exactly the best 
use of resources. Another way you can look at it is they traded the 33rd pick overall last year and the 91st pick this year, which is probably going to be useless. But anyway, 33rd uh, last year and 91st this year to move up 22 spots uh, from the third round to the second round. So, uh, you know, as much credit as I give uh, Friedel and Burns for making some selections, uh, that trade still is a head scratcher to this day. And I'm not entirely sure why they ended up doing that. So, I mean, when you're talking about picks in the like the 90s, you're talking about probably passes anyways, but. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's probably a pass. It's probably a pass. So, but I, I, they, I mean, just the fact that they traded a 33rd for number 43 this year is, a, I don't, I don't get it. Anyway. Um, with that being said, too, it should be brought up that, uh, you know, they did have their natural second round pick number 39, which they traded for Jeff Caldwell, who they might not even sign. Uh, so just to give you a sense of how valuable these second round draft picks are, um, I don't know, it's, it's as I say, it's fun to track. And if you have a top 10 pick like the Revs do, that's fun. I wouldn't put a lot of stock into this 43rd pick or uh, number 30 uh, from the Kai Kamara trade. I, I don't think either of those are going to be uh, have any value at all. But the, the draft is slightly more interesting this year since it was a Revs 2 where a lot of these guys that were drafted late might actually get a chance to to play for Revs 2 where in previous years they would you know get our invite to preseason camp and almost certainly have no shot of making the roster. Now you might actually see them play for Revs 2. So that makes it slightly more interesting. Well, I, and we're going to get in some Rev 2 questions as well because uh, you know the Revs 2 schedule was released and they announced Clint P as their head coach uh, while we've taken our hiatus. So some Revs 2 questions. Uh, Chris Velukas asks us, uh, which young guys do you see possibly making an impact with the first team? Vice versa, which young guys will develop at Revs 2? And the Revs 2 question, I mean, you can just automatically send these four guys to Revs 2 in my mind. I, I don't think we're going to see any of those guys starting at Revs 1 at the beginning of the season. But um, current roster guys, Sean, who do you think is going to be uh, will be playing at Revs 2? And who do you think will make an impact at Revs 1? Yeah, I mean, again, it goes back to what we were just talking about with the the first team roster. You know, there's guys like Dewan Jones who have already made an impact in the first team. I think they will continue to make an impact. But otherwise, look at the young players, some of the the homegrown guys, guys like Justin Runnix, who there was so much promise for. You know, with with Buxa signing, um, it's hard to see him getting too many minutes, especially when you know Teal Bunbury is still on the roster. So I don't know that Justin Runnix is going to get a step up in minutes this season. Um, you look at other guys, you know Isaac Anking, he had a lot of promise in you know, his first minutes for the Revolution a couple years ago, and you know didn't really make an impact last year. Um, I don't think he's going to get a chance to break into the first team this year. Tejon Buchanan, who you know, was promising under Brad Friedel. Didn't really get much of a look under Bruce Arena. It didn't seem like Bruce Arena rated him the way Brad Friedel did. And I'm not sure I see that changing this year either. Again, you know, things can change in preseason. One of these guys could have a phenomenal preseason and, and beat out a veteran. But looking at it now, I, I, I struggle to see any of the young guys that haven't already gotten a breakthrough really getting a breakthrough this season. Um, I think really all of the the homegrown players that we've talked about, Renix, uh, the new signing, Rivera, um, you know, guys like Isaac Anakin, I'm, you know, I'm excited to see him play for Revs 2 and these guys play for Revs 2, but I think most of these guys next season will get their minutes at Revs 2 um, because this is a very deep roster and, you know, unless there's a situation where the Revolution are, you know, have a game with not much to play for, um, I think Bruce Arena is going to rely on his veterans. And historically, you know, you look at MLS now, the league has changed a lot from when Bruce Arena, uh, you know, spent most of his time coaching here. But historically, Bruce Arena has been a guy that's relied on veterans and hasn't given you know young players too much of a chance to to show through. And you look at this roster right now; it seems like a roster that's kind of designed to do the same thing. Um, so, you know, until I'm proven otherwise, I expect most of these homegrown guys and most of the you know second year players that didn't get minutes last year to to under Bruce Arena to see most of their minutes at Revs two this year. 
Yeah, I agree with everything you said there. And, and as I said, you know, the senior roster either has 19 or 20 players, depending on if Scott Caldwell is eligible for the supplemental roster. Even if Caldwell is on the supplemental roster, he's going to be a part of that Revs team. Um, I don't think Scott Caldwell playing at USL League One is going to give him much benefit or, you know, and, and it's just going to take up a prospect spot. So Caldwell isn't going to go down at all. So you have 20 guys that are, you know, filling up the 18 and then some. Uh, so, I, you know, I don't think there's a lot of room for Tayon Buchanan or Justin Rennicks or Firmino or Rivera or Inking. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I don't know if any of them are going to break through. I think Justin Rennicks we might see some minutes from um, here and there. He might make the occasional appearance just because he was such a highly regarded prospect because he is getting um, U.S. call-ups uh, to the youth teams here and there. Um, and the other thing, too, is I'll actually disagree with you. I think we see a little bit of Isaac Anking on the first team a little bit. Um, you know, we talked about central midfield being a bit of a weak spot and not having a lot of offensive options. Um, you know, I think Isaac Anking could kind of we could see some minutes out of him, depending on injuries, depending on matchups, uh, depending on if there's some spots that uh, Bruce Arena wants to see how he does. Um, he's certainly impressed in his one appearance at NYC uh, FC. Um, you know, he's had some injuries. Uh, he had that uh, uh, issue, that uh, health issue a few years ago, uh, and he, he has already been on loan. Um, at the USL championship level and played pretty well from a few games that I watched. So I don't know if Ann King is, uh, he seems to be a little bit above the Revs 2 level at this point. I know he's only 19 or 20 years old, um, but I, I think Ann King could be another guy that we see get some minutes at um, Revs 1. Outside of Ann King and Renix, I don't know who else we really see. We saw Buchanan last year. Um, I'm not really sure if Bruce Arena is a big fan of the guy. I hate to say it, uh, but you know, do you take on Buchanan or Dewan Jones on the wing? You know, who who would you rather have Buchanan or Renix that striker? Who would you rather have Buchanan not only has to beat the guys on the senior roster, he, he has to beat the guys that are kind of down with him uh, on, on the supplemental and reserve rosters. So um, Buchanan, another young guy, he was a sophomore coming out of the super draft. Um, obviously he's got a high potential. I, I think we see him get most of his minutes at revs two. I don't see, think we see an appearance from him in, at revs one this season. So um, kind of for, uh, and I think Jeff Caldwell, will see either at revs two or at USL championship. I should throw him out there too. Um, revs two though, for me, no Rivera, the other guys that we mentioned um, that are kind of young and, and on the way up, um, you know, obviously they will be revs two guys, but, uh, we did get a question from Hans on Twitter. How do you see the roster shaping up for Revs 2? Uh, and then he also says, do you expect the team to draw any attendance? And what do you think about the team barnstorming New England, playing in cities like Framingham, Portland, Lowell, Manchester, et cetera, et cetera? Um, so we kind of just talked about the roster shaping up. It's pretty much going to be a bunch of academy guys and then reserve roster guys and supplemental roster guys. We're not going to see Scott Caldwell or Diego Fagundes or Kellen Rowe make appearances at USL League one, if it was a USL championship team, it might be a little bit different. Uh, but League One is essentially for developmental of uh, high school and, and college uh, age players. Uh, so that's how we kind of see the, the the roster shaping up for Revs 2. Uh, John, do you have any thoughts on b before we move on to the other questions? Any, any thoughts about the Revs 2 roster? No, I think you're spot on. And just, you know, even going back further to your earlier point about all the, the young guys, um, you know, you, you look at the lack of you know, at least on paper, the lack of potential minutes for these young guys in the first team. And it, it even brings you back further to Diego Fagundes. And, um, you know, if there hasn't been a drastic change in what the role is going to be for him this year and, you know, what his plans are for the future, um, that's even more reason to try to look to offload him now and, and get what you can for him now to actually open up, you know, some chance at minutes for, for some of these young guys. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you 1000%. Uh, moving on to the second question. Do you think the team will draw any sort of attendance uh, and, and potentially about the team barnstorming? 
Um, so I'll take the barnstorming question because I really like this idea. And I think we talked about a little bit when the U.S. Open Cup, uh, there was a question about, I think Seth from the Met Musket had an article about moving the, the U.S. Open Cups around. And I, I really enjoy the U.S. Open Cup games at Brown uh, or at PC. Uh, I really, you know, I, I know they go to Harvard sometimes, but I think it's a really good idea to put the U.S. Open Cup games in Portland, Manchester, Western Mass to kind of expand the fan base and, and kind of expand it beyond the Foxborough, Southeastern Mass, uh, Rhode Island region, because I think that's kind of where the most of the revs fan base is right now uh and and i know i've ranted before about uh the portland timbers and seattle sounders claiming portland maine as their own uh, i would like to see the revs kind of make more of an effort to get some of those fans because uh, there are soccer fans in northern new england that just flat out are not following mls or the revolution so um i, I kind of like the idea about the team barnstorming maybe playing friendlies against college teams uh playing games against you know local teams maybe a bsl bssl side or something like that you know i mean uh, it sounds kind of weird to say that out loud, but you know, a Revs two friendly up in Bangor, Maine, playing UMaine Orono might attract some people. Um, maybe not. I'm not sure, but I think just having a professional team kind of go have an exhibition might bring some people out, some of the, some local soccer fans out to the game and get them interested in the Revolution. Um, I don't know how feasible it is. I don't know how financially stable, uh, sustainable it is. Um, and I, I don't think it's realistic considering I think the Revs want to keep everything in-house and around Foxborough. Um, but I'm not, I'm, I'm a big fan of that idea. And I think if it's something that they could do, I think they should go for it. Yeah. I don't hate the idea either. I don't think it's going to happen. Um, as far as whether the revolution are going to, to Revs two are going to draw big and Gillette, I don't think they are going to draw much. I think, you know, even pulling out a, a thousand fans regularly might be difficult for them. Um, you know, if, if you kind of read into how the revolution are treating this team, it doesn't seem like they're treating this team as, you know, one to bring in fans. I think they're treating it purely as a team to develop talent and give guys that otherwise wouldn't necessarily get competitive minutes a chance to get competitive minutes. I don't think they're seeing this as an opportunity to, to you know, bring more fans into the club or, you know, get good attendance for a, a USL2 team, uh, USL League 1 team. So, um, you know, and, and again, as New England soccer expands, when you see teams like Hartford Athletic um, coming into the USL, and now it sounds like a team is going to go into the Providence or Pawtucket uh, in the USL, um, there's less incentive for the Revolution to play home games in those states. Uh, I think there's less of a draw for that. I, you know, why would you go out and see a you know minor league of Revolution Two team when you could see a league you know a championship team in the USL that's playing at a higher level? Um, I do like the idea of you know the Revolution playing in markets where there aren't teams. Uh, Western Mass doesn't have a you know League One or championship team anymore. I think the Pioneers have talked about maybe going to League One eventually. Um, but you know as, as long as that doesn't exist, playing a game out there would be kind of cool. Playing a game in Portland would be cool, um, especially places where you can easily drive. Uh, you know I like the idea of Bangor, but that's you know getting to be more of a of a hike to get the team up there. Um, I do think the team wants to consolidate everything in Foxborough and give these guys as much opportunity as possible to be around the first team. Um, you know and theory to me the kind of the barnstorm around doing that idea makes sense and is, is a cool idea but i think the the revolution are really seeing this revs two team as a opportunity to develop players and, and not much more than that it's it's going to be a bridge basically from their um academy to uh the first team it, it's essentially just going to be a bridge of guys that you know aren't going to college because they're going to be taking part of revs two and you know they're not you know homegrown players like rivera because because you look at someone like zach haravo who's out of contract now i mean he should, in hindsight, obviously 2020, but he should have gone to PC and developed there as opposed to wasting away on the Revs bench. And, you know, he didn't really have a lot of 
ability to break in. He, he trained and, and all that, but you know he didn't really get any game minutes, and I think that really harmed him uh, long term. Uh, and, and by the time he got to USL, you know he's four four years of no games. I mean that sucks. So essentially, they're you know they're doing this so they can sign homegrown players like Rivera, uh, you know, like Renix, and you know while they're foregoing time at college and developmental time at college, um, Revs two is essentially there to kind of fill that gap uh, and and play at hopefully a higher level um, than what you would see at the NCAA. So um, yeah, I, I, I and again, I don't think there's any sort of attendance. I think you already talked about that. I don't think the Revs really care for attendance. I'm sure they'll get some fans there. Uh, most of these games are on weekends, I believe. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, it looks like there's the occasional Tuesday games and whatnot. But, um, you know, I, I know that, you know, Red Bulls 2 and TFC 2 and e- even teams that play in the USL Championship, um, you know, the secondary teams get like, you know, 50 fans. So um, I'm, I'm not sure if they're going to be playing uh, in Gillette Stadium or at maybe a secondary practice field. I know I think TFC 2 played at a secondary field. Um I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think this is going to be something that's going to get draw a lot of fans either way. And I don't think the Revs really care. And that's not really the, the priority there. So, um, Garland the Merriest Remington Third on Twitter, uh, if that is his real name, says I can't find the clip of Bruce Arena asking what's going on. But that's my question and comment. Uh, also, what about roster flexibility? Uh, so, Sean, some people have been making uh, fun of the uh, Revs' former company line of roster flexibility when people would criticize them about being inactive in the offseason uh, <laughs> and having open spots. Their their argument was, well, roster flexibility, uh, you know, we can do things later on. Um, we're basically just, uh, you know, paying the top players more uh, as opposed to kind of spreading the money out across 30 roster spots. And the Revs, as we said, have, have kind of filled it out. But, um, you know, I, I, I'm a little nervous about having – few roster spots i'd like maybe at least one spot on the senior roster open Uh, i think they do again scott caldwell on the supplemental roster maybe uh but you know don't you think that after a while uh you know we we mock the that that old line but they've kind of gone in the reverse direction where you know summer transfer window they're not going to have a lot of room to do things and maybe next offseason their hands are going to be a little bit tied um do you have the same concerns as me uh, yes and no. And I mean, Mike Burns deserves to be mocked for the, the roster flexibility comments because the way they did handle their off seasons in the past was, you know, ridiculous and did put the team kind of behind the eight ball to start the season when they were making signings, you know, you know a few weeks before the season started and didn't really get have didn't really have time to integrate players. You know, I I do agree there is some reason to be concerned that the revolution, you know. There are some question marks on this team right now. We talked about the positions where we have some question marks, and there's not really any way to fix them. If they go into the preseason and these guys don't turn out to live up to Bruce Arena's expectations, there's not that much flexibility. With that said, you know it is a league where you can waive players. If, if the Revolution are willing to eat contracts, there are ways to get rid of guys. You know We saw them do that with Gabriel Somi last year. Um, they missed an opportunity to get rid of him in the offseason. And, uh, you know, Bruce Arena took over and they ate that contract. They, they moved on from Gabriel Somi. So if you absolutely need a roster spot, there are ways to get one. Um, you know, there are negatives to that and that you, you know, can lose cap flexibility. Uh, but, you know, I don't think there's too much concern because if the Revolution do need to make a change, um, Bruce Arena has shown a willingness to do that, even if that means, you know, taking a sacrifice and, and eating a cap contract hit. And I think, you know, the Crafts, if they have to help eat that cap that cap hit or that contract hit, depending on what level of player it is, if it's, you know, DP or something and the, the, the crafts have to eat a, 
you know, some of that money. I think there's more willingness to do that now. So, uh, yes, I do think there's some reason to be a little bit concerned that, you know, at this stage, the Revolution don't really have an opportunity to, to sign another international player for a senior roster slot um, because there are still some, in my view, some holes in this roster. Uh, but I, I'm not that concerned because there are ways to open up roster spots in this league. Yep. Uh, it should be noted, too, that uh, the Revs had the their, their franchise high in spending last year. I believe it was $10.3 million pro-rated over a full season, obviously, Gustavo Boquet mid season so that's a big uh that's a big change but um i think it was prorated over full season it was 10.3 million uh and the revs look to be around that as of right now um uh, based on last year's salaries uh they are spending about 7.77 million in salaries there's going to be raises across the board for players who have their options um extended scott caldwell had re-signed an extension so his number is going to go up uh matt turner signed an extension his number is going to go way up uh and then you know obviously adam busca signed for seven figures um there's going to be Bootner is going to have a big contract kamara apparently is going to have a pretty good good chunk of a contract uh, and then you have the signings of Roe, Sinovic uh, and then obviously you're going to have a, a bit of a salary for Riviera and Caldwell if he ends up uh, signing and, and then you're going to add on three or four more draft picks uh, so you know, projecting it out you know it's not unrealistic to think they're at about 10.5 to 10.7 million that's just kind of guesstimating salaries I'm not going to break down each one but um, I kind of did the math and they look to be a little bit above where their spending was last season so um, you know it's pretty good too considering last year they had so many pieces to add and they're going to be around the same level as they were last year obviously some of that's Juan Agadello we talked about this a few podcasts ago Sean Juan Agadello Edgar Castillo Michael Mancian they had a lot of contracts um, a lot of big figures coming off the books and so I think they've done a really really good job of taking that same amount of money and spending it a little bit more effectively going into this season so um, and again that goes into my A minus grade uh, on the off season for the revs so uh, Sean, let's uh, just kind of hit on some other points before we wrap this up. I know we're going long. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, hopefully our lack of podcasts are made up by the length of this one. Sorry if this is going to take people a day or two to get through. But uh, just some other news that I don't think we, any commentaries needed. But obviously their new training facility is opened. We mentioned uh, the Revs 2 uh, schedule was announced. And they announced Clint P as their head coach. Uh, and they also announced their schedule, which I think seven of the last ten are going to be on the road for the Revolution. So early in the season, points are going to be really important important they have a, a home heavy schedule to start the year uh, and then they kind of ended on the road um sean i don't know if you have any thoughts about the training facility revs two or, or the schedule anything you want to hit on real quick yeah i mean the, the training facility looks phenomenal and it was great to see uh Buskas, you know t- step into the training facility and talk about how excited he was for that and he did seem genuinely excited to, to be you know, taking part in that training facility. And I do think it's something that, you know, helps attract guys like him and uh, maybe even guys like Kellen Rowe to, to come back. Um, so, you know, that's very exciting. Uh, honestly, I haven't looked too much into the, the Revs 2 schedule. It'll be interesting to see, you know, how they do in, in some of those games. But um, the Revolution schedule is very interesting how many early games they have. You know, the first two weekends of March, um, they're playing at home. So, uh, you know, the weather in, in Foxborough is always very questionable at those times. Their, their first game of the season's in Montreal. Of course, that's in the Dome. Um, but, you know, usually you see the Revolution starting the season uh, with a lot of games at warm weather climates. And this year, that's not really the case. Yeah, yeah, absolutely agree. And um, another thing, too, you talked about uh, Busca and, and saying, you know, I think someone tweeted out that, uh, you know, he just needed a day uh, hanging out with Bruce Arena to kind of know it was a good fit for him. Uh, it's pretty amazing how, you know, adding Bruce Arena and then some technical staff. I think Chris Tierney uh, got a shout out from uh, Kellen Rowe uh, and, and was a factor in Kellen Rowe coming back. Um, you know, it's pretty amazing how you know, Bruce Arena comes in and suddenly players love coming here. Whereas 
Brad Friedel, you know, one of his last moments was, um, you know, Moku, uh, you know, being this big signing that was months in the making and then, and then backing out, uh, uh, you know, when the transfer window opened. So, um, it's a pretty big shift here and, you know, it, it's pretty amazing that Bruce Arena has been able to do so much in just two months. Uh, so, and, and obviously the training facility, um, looks, you know, looks very good. Uh, and the fact that, you know, this is a major factor that people that, that free agents are, are citing as a reason to come here, uh, I think is, is a really, really good sign for the revolution. Uh, Sean, do you have any thoughts before we end up uh, wrapping this episode up? No, I mean, it's, it's, it's just amazing to be at this point of the season and, kind of feel like we're talking about the revolution's complete roster minus a you know a few draft picks and maybe another depth signing um you, you, you know we've never really been there before it makes me wonder when we're going to have enough uh exciting stuff to talk about to, to even do another podcast until preseason starts yeah it's interesting because i think we kind of left it off as well we'll we'll do our next one around the super draft and then we'll do some as the signings come in and as preseason starts and you know we both were very busy in the, these past few weeks and we see signing after signing and after signing, and we just couldn't get to a podcast. So it's amazing that we have so much to, to cover. Uh, and then looking ahead at when we're going to do our next one, we're kind of unsure about it because they look pretty done. Uh, there might be a trade here or there. They might move one of these draft picks. Maybe they clear a roster spot and trade someone else. Um, I don't know who that would be, uh, but you know, outside of the super draft and maybe signing Jeff Caldwell, you know, is there going to be a big move on this team? I, I don't think so. I th- it looks like their off season is pretty wrapped up and um, you know, they're, preseason we'll, we'll start up and we'll go from there but um I, I did have one question to ask you though uh, at the bent musket uh they did publish an article today um this is our last podcast of the decade it should be uh noted and a bent musket uh wrote an article about the best revolution players from this decade uh and i wanted to get your thoughts about it um i don't know if anyone else saw it but first team charlie davies at uh striker christian pania left wing lee win uh central attacking midfield carly's heel uh right attacking uh, midfielder at the wing at right winger uh scott caldwell and jermaine jones in the defensive midfield and then a back line of christini jose gonzalez aj soares and andrew farrell so basically the 2014 back line uh and then matt reese in goal uh sean i wanted to ask your opinion on the first team and if you think they uh, nailed it or not yeah, to, to be completely honest, I, I uh, talked to some of the Bent Musket guys before this list came out, and I think I had a little bit of influence on on some of these teams. Um, but conflict of interest, conflict of interest. But but looking at the the first team, I think the the only change I would make um, is one that if you you know look on Twitter, a lot of other people commented on, so it won't be surprises. I, I would change Pania out for Diego Fagundes. I think just the the longevity, and if you know if you're looking at the past two years. Um, maybe you're a bit by bit tainted. Although even you know two years ago under Brad Friedel, the first half of the season was some of the best soccer Diego Funes had played. Um, but just his longevity here, and you know how good he was for you know a good amount of years when he was so young, I would put him on there over Christian Pania. Um, other than that, it's it's hard to really argue uh, the lineup they put out there when you're factoring in you know both uh, level of play and longevity from these guys. Um, you know, again, I think if you're looking at a, a weak spot on that first team. Um, you might look at the tri- at the striker spot where you know Charlie Davies had his moments, but um, it was a short period of time in which he was really good for the Revolution. And um, you could perhaps make a case that you know Kai Kamara, for similar reasons, could could make a claim for that spot. But you know, given the run to the 2014 MLS Cup, it's it's hard to argue. So if I were to make one change, it would be uh, Diego in for Christian Pania. But otherwise, I have you know trouble uh, making too much of an argument with the rest of the spots. Yeah, Kai Kamara was on their second team. They have a first, second, and third team. We're just going to talk about the first team. Kai Kamara was on that second team too, and I think that's a reasonable expectation. But you kind of hinted this. Uh, Charlie Davies has the moments. I think if you think of the you know golden era of the Revs this decade, which was basically 2014, um, Charlie Davies had so many moments uh, in that 2014 off season, uh, or sorry, not off season, postseason. <laughs> uh, he had so many moments in that uh, postseason um, that 
you know, I, I think a lot of Revs fans feel you have to kind of include him in that first team and and how impactful he was uh, when he kind of hit that stride in late 2014. Um, the only other change I would make is uh, I would make because we're a pro Matt Turner podcast is I put Matt Turner in for Matt Reese. I know Matt Reese had, I think, about three and a half seasons at the beginning of the decade. Um, those weren't particularly good years. So statistically, I, I don't think his records are very good. Um, but, you know, certainly that wasn't all of his fault. And I, it, it's not a completely outrageous thing to put Matt Reese there. But I think Matt Turner has done so good in his uh, year and a half that I think if you're going to be giving Carly's heel uh, a start for one year and Jermaine Jones for really a good half year and then a solid-ish second year with the Rebs, um, I think Matt Turner, you know, if, if we're going based on quality and less quantity, uh, which is what this team is kind of doing, I, I would give Matt Turner the nod in, in goal over Matt Reese. Matt Turner is the second team goalkeeper. And then Bobby Shuttleworth, who was uh, – in that 2014 team is kind of the tough luck third teamer. But um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think uh, Fagundes over Pena and then I put Turner over Reese. And I, I think outside of that, they nailed it for the rest of them. So, uh, but either way, a fun article. Um, it was kind of good uh, rolling through these teams and seeing names like Kevin Alston, Darius Barnes, Gershon Kofi, um, you know, seeing some uh, old friends uh, on the revs that uh, <laughs> contributed to this team in the decade through good times and bad. I mean, so. if you look at some of the players when you get down to the third team that made this roster, you you realize just how bad the revolution were for parts of this decade. <laughs> well, uh, Seth Sinovic, uh was on is the third team left back, and I think he only one year. Um, yeah, I mean Benny Failhaber, who was not that great of a player for the Revs, but you know, you know, he's a name, you know, he's on this team. Brandon by is the third, uh, third team right back. Although I think that has to do with Andrew Farrell basically having right back down for an entire, you know, decade, basically. So, um, it is kind of funny to see, you know, Bobby Shuttleworth, who was the goalkeeper in 2014 and had a pretty decent 2014 season and Juan Agadello, uh, who had his moments on the third team. And they're 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 on the same team as Stephen McCarthy. Uh, so it's uh, kind of a fun read overall. So recommend that overall. And also check out those two scouting reports on Adam Busca and uh, Samba, too, because uh, there's some really good information on there uh, for two European players that I don't think really anyone knows a whole lot about. So. Uh, Sean, that wraps us up. We're about two hours. Again, sorry for the length on this one, everyone, but so much to get into. Uh, so many thoughts uh, that we couldn't express over Twitter. Uh, Sean, uh, where can people find you online? Yeah, I think I think the length of this one is uh, our fault for missing out on doing a podcast over the past couple months. But um, you can find me in, in between podcasts, giving my takes on the revolution at Sean L. Donahue. And you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution. <clears throat> sorry, at Revolution Recap. I'm fighting a cold. I, I, I know people have heard me stutter throughout this podcast. I apologize. Uh, end of year, end of year cold stuff. But you can follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap. Uh, if you want to follow me personally for two more days before I delete my personal Twitter on January one, you can follow me at G Johnstone twelve. Uh, also, please like our Revolution Recap page on Facebook. Uh, you can also leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. We always appreciate um, reviews on iTunes and feedback, too. Uh, we're going into the 2020 season looking for uh, constructive feedback on what you guys want to hear more of or, or, or hear less of. Uh, you know, It's always good to hear uh, stuff like that, too. Although I will say, if you're leaving a review on iTunes, please, five stars. Uh, leave leave the criticisms for uh, Twitter DMs, please, please. But uh, Anyway, with our roster mostly set, the next stage of the offseason will be January 9th with the first two rounds of the Super Draft, which we talked about. Uh, the Revs hold the 6th, 13th, and 30th, and 43rd picks as of right now. So depending on the news, depending on what happens, we might be doing another podcast following the Super Draft if there's 
significant news. Um, if they just kind of go through the super draft and sign Jeff Caldwell, and there's not a whole lot, we're not sure when we'll check in next, but we'll probably do another uh, check-in podcast around the start of preseason going into uh, before the, the first game in Montreal. Uh, either way, thank you everyone for listening and go reps. <laughs>